Driving that coach. 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 I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. We had a little dance break as the theme song was going However on. it happened, <laughs> welcome to Dropping That Culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD. And I'm AJ. What the fuck, bro? I'm so sorry, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to love it when we finally get video. Oh, my God. <laughs> That was funny. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's so fucking funny. This is a horrible way to start a podcast. This is a great way, because then they, they already can tell we, Dude, we thoroughly enjoy it. Hey, pound that shit. That was, a, that was great. Okay, so. Thank right. you. All right, so like I was saying. <laughs> this is going to be a great episode. Yes, That was it what is. he was going to say. Oh We're going to get into some Bill Murray. Yeah, that's exactly what We're going to do say. some What Would Busey Say. We're going to do some Seven Degrees Eddie Murray. Murphy, quick little news roundup. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, he, 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 yeah, he pretty much explained it all for me. So yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's go ahead and uh, kick this thing off with the uh, uh, Seven Degrees of Eddie Murphy, one of our favorite segments here, where I can uh, basically connect any major American film star to the great Eddie Murphy. Uh, another degrees of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, but I like this one a little bit better. Oh yeah, and my my intro, yeah. Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> you, just had, you just had to add a flourish on there? Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, you got some names on there? Yeah, um, you know, we'll start out a little bit easier. I think you can get this one pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like uh, I like our little hobbit friend, Elijah Wood. Wow. Oh, wow, Elijah Wood. Good choice. <laughs> okay. I, can, I can get you there almost immediately, but I'll let you do it. Mm, wait, let me think. Of the wide variety of Elijah Wood films. Hmm. What was that shit he was in? He was like a kid, and then like everybody loved him. North. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. Okay. So, but I'm not. I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not going that route. I just remember think that movie. comic books. That would get you there quickest. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Okay. So, uh, actually, I'm going to, yeah, I'll go this route. Uh, Elijah Wood was in Sin City with Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson was in uh, The Adventures of Pluto Nash with Eddie Murphy. Which is one direction. I thought you were going to go Bruce Willis. Actually, yeah. But, Bruce Willis, Tracy Morgan. Yeah, well, I, I would do Rosario Dawson. Yeah, right? it's not a bad one. Yeah, so. All right, we'll go for a little bit deeper cut, uh, mostly because I can only think of one feature film this person's ever been in. What's up? Elizabeth Berkley. The model chick? The, the chick from Showgirls. Oh, her. Yeah, okay. So, okay. Elizabeth Berkley. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good choice. I think there's really only maybe one way out of it, and I can only get you to somebody who's been in other films besides her. <sighs> it's basically you got to go to Gina Gershon. That's exactly what I'm saying. And then try to figure it out from yeah, there. How many, fucking, really how many fucking Gina Gershon <laughs> movies do I, I know? I know, right? Shit. <laughs> I wondered if we got a Mandy Moore situation. Oh, 
fuck, I hope not. Okay, you know what? <laughs> go get, pick up another name. I'm you want to go with the next one? I will concede for right now. I'm going to look up uh, Elizabeth Berkeley and see if she has been in anything else. But So technically, this is this is cheating. We got a stump going on. No, I, I will say, like, if I can't find one <laughs> off the top of my head, I will say off top. I will say off GP. All right, all right. I cannot find it, so fucking, you know, there's that. All right. Well, and we'll go with something that should be hopefully a little bit easier, but also a little bit of a blast from the, pla- the past. What's up? Brendan Fraser. Okay, that's actually easier. Okay, thank you. I figured it would be. God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Brendan Fraser was in, let me concentrate on this. All right, Brendan Fraser was in, ah, The Mummy Returns with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in... Jumanji with Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart was in Meet Day with Eddie Murphy. There you go. So now it's just back to Elizabeth fucking Berkeley. Berkeley. (laughs) I'm fine as shit. Uh, Gina Kershaw. (laughs) Honestly, that's the only person who I can think of that that had a film career outside of. Oh yes. Okay. Cool. Got it. Found it. Right. Fucker. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Elizabeth Berkeley was in Showgirls with Robert Davi. Rob, oh. Robert Davi. I forgot he was in that. <laughs> That's right, Robert That is da- Robert Davi is the way yeah, to go. Yeah, Robert Davi was or in... Davi. Yeah, this Davi. Uh, Robert Davi was in... Know. I'll go this route. I'll go this route. Was in Die Hard with Reginald Vale Johnson. Reginald Vale Johnson was in Ghostbusters with Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd was in Trading Places with Eddie Murphy. All right, well done. Thank you. Look, as soon as I saw it, like, I was like, thank you, Robert Davi. <laughs> you uh, weren't going to get there with Gina Gershon. Hell no. <laughs> You're gonna have to go deep in some indie films and then yeah, find no, a weird beautiful way. Beautiful chick, great actress. Actually, don't last thing I saw her on, she did a guest spot on that shit. Elementary. She's in a ton of TV. Yeah, right. Like if we were gonna open it up to television, you could probably get there pretty quick through like. Yeah, they made her like. Yeah, honestly, probably the only thing I can think of off the top of my head is you go yeah. through Rescue Me. They made her Lucy Lou char- Lucy Lou's characters like nemesis for like a season. Yeah, so Jim Gershon was. All right, so we got the three names: Elizabeth Berkeley, uh, freaking uh, what was the other one? Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood, and the last one was uh, Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser. So I got all three. Cool. It was a good one. Yeah, the Elizabeth yeah, Berkeley. Yeah, shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you had to had to jog the memory there with Robert. I like Fraser, so, I, yeah, I I, like I said, I, I admit it. Like I was always say, if, if I cannot find one off the top of my head, I will say on air. I had to look it up. That's true. So. It, you, we, we, we will make sure to keep you accountable until we get cameras, and then we let the let the public do that. All right, cool. So we got that. All right. So our <laughs> next uh, segment, WWBS. What would Busey say? Now we're gonna do a colorful rant. Uh, based on the mind of Mr. Gary Busey. Now, what will Gary be uh, talking about this week, AJ? Well, um, considering the films that we're looking to get into uh, mm-hmm. from the great mm-hmm. and powerful Bill Murray, right? I'd like to know his thoughts on ghosts. <sighs> My thoughts on ghosts. Ghosts are real. I have seen them. I've communicated with them. They're not as bad as a lot of people think. Actually, a lot of the ghosts that I do encounter are usually pretty good people. A lot of them are like from colonial times, which is weird. But those type of those type, those type of people tend to be attracted to me. You know what I'm saying? And it's really good. We have good conversation about life or lack thereof. You know, <laughs> in this particular case. <laughs> uh, and then some of the guys describe the ways they were taken out. While they sound interesting, some of the stuff I've actually done myself, it didn't really affect me as well as it did them, which is crazy, you know what I'm saying? A lot of people, a lot of these guys actually died of some of the simplest fucking diarrhea, which is crazy, but like in the olden times, yeah, you get a spot of diarrhea, your ass is done. It's fucking crazy, man. I heard people being stabbed, shot, eviscerated, you know, uh, had their uh, 
bowels taken out by cannonballs and shit like that. And the thing about it is, I've done a lot of that stuff, and it didn't, like I said, it didn't really, really get to me that bad. And it's like maybe I have a stronger fortitude than a lot of these ghosts, which is weird. But at the same time, ghosts are nice to have around. Like if you're at a party, you want to spice shit up a little bit. And if somebody's like, hey, uh, you want to do a seance? Like I'm like, you sure about that? <laughs> like yeah, yeah, I want to do a seance. Okay. Okay, somebody's phone went off, interrupting my goddamn rant. Might be the ghosts themselves. Ghost phone. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> now back to my rant. So like I was saying, if we want to do a seance, I invite some of my ghost friends over. We have like a little uh, little spook session just to kind of get, get, the, get the party going a little bit. Next thing you know, we're all chilling, you know, drinking tequila. and you know, I got the ghosts with me. A lot of people think I'm bullshitting, but I, I, give, them, I, give, I give a shot to the ghosts. You know, ghosts is cool. Yeah, ghosts are cool, man. Tiger blood. How's that? <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> ghost phone. Uh, he, he's, he enjoys ghosts. There's only a handful of things that I've found that Gary Busey has a problem with. And the shit that he does like is pretty weird. <laughs> he likes ghosts. But it's never boring. No, it's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> He's going right. to get a theme song in and out someday. We'll find something for Gary Busey. Probably just have to be an insane scream or something for the in and out. <laughs> Hi, I'm Gary Busey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing great. The, the shit that shit for family guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hi, how you doing, Gary Busey? I'm doing great. <laughs> <laughs> that, that might be it. Hey. <laughs> That shit was funny, dude. Like, Looking in the mirrors like a goddamn ghost clown with hairs on fire. fire. <laughs> I'm doing great. <laughs> All right, let's go into uh, dropping that news real quick. Mm-hmm. So, dropping that news. Okay, folks. I be honest with you, there really has been a very slow week in terms of entertainment. There's not really that much been going on. The main thing really that's been going on in all of media, specifically, is the goddamn coronavirus. It's been shutting down everything, including mo- a lot of the most of the major festivals. Like well, South by Southwest got canceled, and so the, uh, Coachella got postponed to like October. Yep. So like just that kind of shit. And they're also talking about you know postponing uh, shoots on like certain movies and things. Actually, they postponed the shoots for. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is supposed to have reshoots in Prague. They mm-hmm. actually shut that down because of coronavirus. And one thing that really is pissing me off, they're talking about possibly shutting down WrestleMania. Yeah, I saw that. And that's like a couple weeks. It's like 28 days away. Well, and the other thing they're, they're, they're doing, too, uh, from what I saw, is they're uh, getting rid of all the... Um, uh, Getting rid of, from, well, from what I remember, I think they're getting rid of all the audience um, or the the crowds rather at uh, all the NCAA events. I saw that's getting canceled, so the basketball players are gonna play alone. Did you see in the weird stadium? Did you see the weird ass thing that they had them do for like the basketball get basketball games that are going on because of this shit? They have this thing where the reporters and the players have to be the reporters have to be at least six feet away from the players to initiate an interview. It, it's weird, like. And then people, people uh, I'm sorry, folks, like, I know coronavirus is a serious thing. A lot of people, like, uh, taking it seriously in terms of the outbreak itself. Me, personally, I just think it's another damn health scare we, we were due for one. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Well, look. Yeah. You should always wash your hands. Yeah. This, no just, matter what time just, of year it is or whatever. Just maintain saying. good hygiene. I mean, look, it's it's not patient zero. We're not on the cusp of zombie land. The world's not going to fall apart. Good. Look, you... you Given, I, I think you give it 
the way it's currently going, yeah. by the time we hit April, end of April, beginning of May, yeah. everybody's going to look back and be like, well, wow, that was expensive. You were stupid. <laughs> I think the, the number one thing people are going to walk away with, especially in the entertainment industry, was, man, that was some really expensive decision-making that we yeah. just went yeah, with. Yeah, we were really stupid. Now, I will say on a positive side... Yeah, we were really susceptible. <laughs> That's really what it is. We're really susceptible to bullshit. You know what? Uh, mass media gets people to move in mass. So, that's all I'll say on that side. But specifically, just as a quick note for uh, all the filmmakers, I know at South by Southwest, right? We're talking about people who've spent a huge chunk of their lives putting out a passion piece of project, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the filmmakers go, uh, at least according to what I'm seeing on stage, uh, stage 32 and a couple other um, networking sites, they're actually still going to set up and they're going to do a screening for their, uh, for their judges, for the executive committee to make sure that these filmmakers get something. They're not going to be able to have the exact same experience where they get to screen in a theater and yeah. stand up there and have the Q&A and, and that part, which is really, truly sad. Because, yeah. I mean, that's a huge thing, especially for a lot of these filmmakers that maybe they finally get to show some of their family for the first time, prove to mom and dad or uncle and aunt or whoever, I yeah. can do it. Yeah. But mm-hmm. at least potentially for the career side, mm-hmm. the stuff will still get seen. They'll still end up with something on the back end of moving. Mm-hmm. No, so hopefully next yeah. year everyone will be calm. Yeah, so I'm saying personally, I'm, uh, I'm going to do the same thing for coronavirus that I did for uh, swine flu, bird flu, uh, SARS. MERS. MERS. Yeah, uh, just maintain good hygiene. I've, uh, that seems to be working. You know what I'm saying? And you know something mm-hmm. else that works pretty well? Yeah. Cigars. Yeah, right. <laughs> Cigars and whiskey. I'm just saying. Yeah, hey. In moderation. You see uh, overweight mafiosos that are still alive because they of their healthy intake of whiskey and cigars, <laughs> whereas a super healthy, you know, vegan, you know, saying uh, the, the Chris Traeger type. Chris Traeger types, like you know, what I'm saying one little <laughs> one little piece of like a, a disease destroys the whole body. Whatever, they're gone. His body's a microchip. Yeah, they're, they're gone. One little grain of sand. <laughs> Absolutely gone. So there might be something to that, people. I'm just saying. You yeah, know, I what, agree. What was it, what was it from? Uh, King of the Hill, they're talking about Bobby. Right. Bobby is soft. He's, you know, the thing about being soft is you can't break. <laughs> true. That is true. That's very true. Uh, also in the entertainment news, uh, they are talking about doing another Dracula movie because of the success of this Invisible Man movie that just came out with Elizabeth Moss. Have you seen it yet? I've heard very good things about it. A lot of people saying it's very good. I mean, look, I'm a I'm a Kevin Bacon fan. I like Kevin Bacon. I think he's good. But because of how like Hollow rapey Man. and weird Hollow Man, Man was, guys, yeah, I'm honestly I'm kind of like I don't know. I'm I'm just from, I'm standing back from, from what I'm for what I understand. It doesn't go that far, but it does get this stalkery get down going where like everybody believe everybody thinks she's nuts but she's actually telling the truth that kind of thing and this dude which could be interesting yeah this dude's like this crazy dude is invisible and stalking her you know the one thing that really ruined it from where it was originally going back to like the old uh, universal like horror movies Mm mhm the biggest thing that ruined it, honestly, was um, heat signature cameras, right? Yeah. Because, like, whenever you've seen it with more modern iterations since the 1990s on, whenever somebody's invisible, that's all. You just go to a heat sensing camera. And you can see the body heat. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, because of the success, like, because of the success of the Invisible Man, Universal is really adamant of restarting this whole horror, franchise. horror, you know, horror, horror cinematic universe thing that they've done. Uh, so, like I said, the first one they had was the Mummy, which was a complete failure. Hey, uh, yeah. I worked on the red carpet for that. That was beautiful. You worked on the red carpet. You did not work on the film. <laughs> the film was awful. I'm sorry. Uh, I like the sarcophagus. 
The film was awful. It was it was gigantic. We put one. The in film the was, it was awful. Gigantic. But like I said, so far the Invisible Man is doing well. It opened number one at the box office, and so far it has a haul of ninety eight point three million dollars. Here's here's what I'm really wondering. I yeah. know Dracula's coming next, mm-hmm. and obviously you're more excited about Wolfman. Mm-hmm. I really wonder how they're going to do with Frankenstein. That would be interesting because that's going to be a huge one, and I know. I mean, you got to think about it, right? Because mm-hmm. you're they're 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 skewing towards hyper realism. Yes, right. I mean, that's what you're getting with uh, with Hollow Man, mm-hmm. or not Hollow Man. Sorry, the Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. What you had going on with the Mummy reboot, like they're they're going for a modern iteration, something like. So you start talking about what Frankenstein is. Yeah, it's a dude. It, it's, it's a combination of body parts. I mean, it's basically yeah. like it, it's it's. Yeah. Honestly, it's the uh, um, Buffalo Bills, like, freaking wet dream out of uh, Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, like, it's going to be creepy, gross, weird. Yeah, and then knowing people going for the hyper-realism is going to be misshapen and yeah. certain body parts are going to match with certain body parts, etc. Which so. I think, I mean, that's going to be, like, the hard balancing act because it would be really easy to go overboard on it. And then mm-hmm. the next thing you know, you've creeped people out and grossed them out so much. Yeah that they can't even connect to the story because there's actually it's kind of funny like the way that they went with it in in those original films mm-hmm. there's a there's almost a romanticism about it and they they did a good job of essentially making Frankenstein's monster let's get it right mm-hmm. Frankenstein's monster yes this kind of a diamond in the rough sad character yes and I don't I don't know I mean yeah. I don't know what filmmaker is going to be able to carry that he's the inspiration for the Hulk man that yeah. interpretation of Frankenstein where he's just this big Greenish brute, uh, you know what I'm saying? Born into this world that he did not control. He just he's a singular being. Like I said, that's that central theme of that kind of singular being carries over into a lot of comic book properties like RoboCop or your Swamp Thing, where you were a man but now you're reborn as this creature, and you're not you're not trying to do anything wrong. You don't know what the fuck's going on. You got an abnormal brain. Yeah, Abby normal. You know, Abby normal brain, and you're trying to make it through life, you know, in a life that you didn't ask to be a part of, you know what I'm saying? And what can you do? You got all these damn villages and shit coming at you with pitchforks and goddamn flames and shit. You know, all because you look different. Like, you're not doing nothing wrong. I, th- I think if you, wanna, if you wanna do the modern take of that, you would probably would go that, probably build up on that alienation part. Like, what, like, the monster's not a bad guy. It's just like, he's just born this way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's honestly the only modern version of it that I've seen that I go, okay. And you probably don't make fun of me for this, but I don't care. Frank and Weenie. Yeah, the dog. I love, I love was, Frank and Weenie. That I was love great. Frank and that was great. I'm not going to make fun of you at all. I actually love that Thank movie. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, so. That was nice of you. Bastard. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, so yeah, the next thing, so apparently after Invisible Man, the next thing up is Dracula. Look out for that. Um, and also, lastly, uh, the. <laughs> Marvel, uh, the Avengers campus at Disney, uh, California Adventure opens in July. This coming July. Just in time for coronavirus. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's anything like the whole opening of the Star Wars galaxy, it's going to be insane. It's going to be nuts, man. I want to go so bad, but I know those crowds are going to be a fucking have you, drag. Have you been to Star Wars Land? I still haven't been to that yet. I haven't been either. Yeah, because I just, I just see all the crowds and like, Nah, yeah, nah, nah. Plus, I see the hundred dollar ticket going to yeah, Disney. Yeah, that's that's like, the bigger. And problem. I don't want to see this one thing. 
Now, uh, I will say from from a, a friend of mine whose uh, their family's been you know going to Disney all the time. They have whatever the season thing is. Yeah, yeah. Freaking great, great reviews on some of the rides they got going on at the uh, the Star Wars attraction. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a, there's a really cool one. I guess that uh, you're you're essentially in the Millennium Falcon, but you got to work as a team. Oh, it's a kind of a longer ride. I hear it's somewhere between five and seven minutes. Uh-huh. And so you end up. There's two people are piloting and two mm-hmm. people are gunners. Mm-hmm. Really, really crazy. It's tr- you know, in, in terms of like having to work together, and they so, said it's it's a blast. So it's a two hour line for a five minute gig. Dude, most of those rides are only like ninety seconds. Oh, you're yeah, true. It's, it's, it's a it's a way longer ride than a lot of them. Yeah, that's true. I'll give you that. So, uh, but yeah, like I said, this Avengers thing looks amazing, though. And, and it's I'm, more like four hours. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to it because apparently it's supposed to have like different sections. It's supposed to be like a Doctor Strange ride and an Ant Man ride, and of course the Spider Man thing, Black Panther thing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you go through there, and I think what really is going to be interesting of that particular world is going to be the Easter eggs that are going to be playing throughout the different things. Mm-hmm. Of like, uh, oh, this goes with this, this goes with that. They have a lot of them in that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy one. I still haven't gone to that yet. I don't want to go to that. I haven't made it there either. Yeah, so, but uh, I like, I'll, I'll probably make the trip for this because I actually want to see what this world can do. You know what I'm saying? Like, I might stay for a little bit, go over, you know, see what's up with, you know, Star Wars. Just get a, get a park hop. Yeah, yeah, you get a park hop and then, like, they're right across the street from each other. So, hmm. not, that, not that bad of a uh, walk or whatever. You know, the, the one ride there that nobody ever talks about that it's actually a lot of fun. They've got a Buzz Lightyear ride over in uh, Tomorrowland mm-hmm. where you're actually, uh, they, you've got like a little blaster gun and so there's ways you can get points but you can also steal the car, steer the cart to make sure that the person who's next to you doesn't have a shot. Okay. Total blast. <laughs> and it's actually a really short line most of the time because people just don't know. Uh-huh. And also, the last thing I did that was like that was uh, if you go to Avengers Station in Vegas uh, at the Treasure Island Casino, mm-hmm. It was a nice interactive thing that they do for the Avengers. I hope it's something like more expansive than that because that was really good. Uh, but yeah, like I said, that's pretty much the last thing I got in terms of dropping this. Whole. So that was dropping that news. Dropping that news. Just want to do a long one. All right, cool. Now let's go ahead and get into the meats and potatoes of our particular podcast this week The Life and Works of one of my personal heroes and one of the best comedic actors of all time, the great Bill fucking Murray. Great and powerful. The great and powerful Bill Murray. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) Now, I'm going to start this off with a quote that he actually says about, you know, fame itself. And this is a quote from Bill Murray. The truth is, anybody that becomes famous is an ass for a year and a half. You got to give them a year and a half, two years tops. They're mostly they're getting so much smoke blown up their ass, and the whole world is just turned upside down. Their responses become distorted. I give everybody a year or two to pull it together because when it first happens, I, when it first happens, it's crazy. I know how it is. <clears throat> That's a good way to look at it. Like That's just, fair give, enough. just give them a year to be, you know. Is this your way of warning <laughs> me that when you jump off, I might have to put up a song for a minute? You probably have to put up with that now. <laughs> See, that's what I tell people all the time. I think like, you're putting up more than I. No, no, my people. That's what I people tell people all the time. Like freaking, like, uh, uh, like if God forbid something, you know, God willing, something happens, I become famous or whatever. Like, you be like, oh my God, JD got such a big ego. Let's like, see, you know what? You know what? That lets me know you didn't know me before I got famous, okay? Because <laughs> if you did know me, you know I had a r- ridiculous ego way before I became famous, okay? <laughs> I, it's like it's like Mike Jones says, like uh, 
Like, ain't nothing changed but my change. I'm going to stay the same. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Fair enough. Ain't nothing changed but my change. You feel me? You need to be filming that. Oh, I got it. I got it. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and get into some uh, statistics about the great Mr. Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, born September 21st, 1950 in Wilmette, Illinois. Birth name, William James Murphy, Murray. Excuse me. And some of the nicknames he's commonly known by, Billy, which is like affectionately what most people know him, and <laughs> the Murray Kane. Mm-hmm. Named by Dan Aykroyd because of his uh, notorious mood swings, <laughs> the Murray Kane. And according and according to the most um, most sites, he's actually about six one and a half, six two. So a pretty tall guy. Yeah. Uh, now some of his trademarks in terms of his overall work, his uh, deadpan expression, and of course his super cool mellow voice. Oh yeah. Yeah, and a lot of his early work, uh, he usually played loud, sarcastic. Rude, mean, anti-heroes like movies like you know Meatball, Stripes, Caddyshack, Ghostbusters movies, etc. But in the recent later years, he plays a lot of depressed characters, a lot of um, bitter. Yeah, he had a he had yeah. a more of a dramatic shift. A lot of bitter, misanthropic cynics who uh, you know often have humiliation and failure in their lives. Uh, and that's when it, I think really the kickoff of that was like Rushmore. Yeah. After that, like he started getting into these more dramatic things, and it works for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, like in terms of the directors, he often frequent works with uh, Ivan Reitman, Harold Ramis, and of course most recently Wes Anderson. That is his guy. So, and uh, in terms of other things about his family, he was one Sofia Coppola. But she, he only did the one thing with Sofia Coppola. Yeah, but what's notable about that is that he's actually, and the reason I bring her up is that mm-hmm. he's actually also worked with a lot of other first-time or second-time filmmakers, a lot of young filmmakers, which you, you almost never like, get with somebody like What's like the him. name of Jim Jarmusch? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, so that guy's like that. Well, and then the, the last thing before we get too far away from it as mm-hmm. far as what he's known for. Yeah. He is one of the greatest improvisational actors of all time. I'm going to get into that. I have a whole section in front of that. Okay. Now, more into his youth, he's a proud Irish-American. Uh, during his teen years, he worked at a, as a caddy to fund his education at Juicy at uh, High School. And he also was the lead singer of a band called the Dutch Masters, and they took place in high school and community theater. Uh, his, uh, <laughs> he actually has two kids from his first wife, uh, Homer and Luke, and uh, uh, four kids. Homer, yes, his first son, Homer. Nice. Homer. And four kids from his second wife, Caleb, uh, Jackson, Cooper, and Lincoln. Jackson, uh, that's a great name. He, yeah, right. he was married twice, first to Mickey Kelly and uh, second to Jennifer Butler. Uh, his siblings include, he has like eight siblings or whatever. Well, yeah, Irish. Yeah, Brian Doyle Murray, Nancy Murray, Edward Murray, Andy Murray, John Murray, Joel Murray, Peggy Murray, and Laura Murray. Uh, Is he, there a Megan? <laughs> no, there's no Megan. Look, that's like a super Irish name. They missed that Me- one. Megan Murray, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, he attended La- Loyola-, Loyola Academy in uh, Wilmette, graduated in 1968, uh, attended Regis College in Denver. He dropped out his senior sophomore year. <laughs> good move. Yeah, good move, good move for him. Uh, his actually uh, more, one of the more known features for Bill is his, actually his pockmarked face. Yeah. But that's due to acne problems he had as a teenager, and it lasted. His dad... Uh, Which, funny enough, yeah. I'm sure he heard a hundred times, if you heard it once, that you can't be a leading man. Yeah, and also it also led to one of the great uh, SNL encounters. 
yeah, into that a little we'll bit get later to that too. In a yeah, yeah uh, his dad Edward Murray was a lumber salesman. He died in 1967 from complications of diabetes, and his mother passed away in 1988 uh, while he was away actually from acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, married his first wife Mickey Kelly on Super Bowl Sunday of 1981 in Vegas. Uh, they had another <laughs> they had another ceremony a little bit later. Uh, he currently has homes in Malibu, Rancho Santa Fe, Martha's Vineyard, the Palisades, New York, and Charleston and uh, Sullivan's Island, South Carolina. Huh? Yeah. Now, since we were going into the whole thing about uh, improv, let's get into one focal point that pretty much changed his life, the second city in mm-hmm. Chicago. The second city improv theater in Chicago is a hub of so many great improvisational actors, pretty much most of the great comedic actors on Especially film. Especially coming from the yeah. 70s and 80s. I mean, uh, it still exists yeah. today, but yeah. they're, they're golden class. Yeah. I am a student of the Second City, but in Hollywood. Mm. Uh, I, didn't, I, I don't really consider myself a Second City person because I didn't go all the way through the conservatory. I tried to several times. But every time I got to like the next level, uh, right before you actually audition for the conservatory, for some damn reason, the classes would either run out or they would uh, not have enough people. They would give me my money back. Get kudos mm-hmm. on that. But I wanted the class. And then eventually, as things work out as an actor, I ended up on the Second City stage anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is what it is. Uh, but in terms of the Second City itself, now he initially got his initially got his invitation to join it from his brother Brian Doyle Murray, who was the first acting Murray. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Now Brian Doyle Murray is one of those goddamn character actors. He's you've a seen, journeyman. He's, you've seen, he's him seen him in a, a million things. Like, I've seen him on an episode of Lois and Clark. He, he had a thing with Superman. Like he's like <laughs> um, he's like uh, uh, Ron Howard's brother, uh, Kent Howard, right? Clint. Clint. Yeah. Clint Howard. Yeah. He's basically like him. Like he's you've seen him in a million things. Yeah, I like him. And he's <laughs> always great, but he's just he's yeah. he's always been that yeah. also ran character actor. Yeah, like I said, we talked about him. Uh, basically, he was the writer and the main caddy guy in Caddyshack. Yep. We were doing a lot of quotes about that character, and then of course he did. Uh, he was Noah of Noah's Arcade in Wayne's World. Yeah. That guy, and I'm trying to think of anything else. He was the mayor in on, uh, Groundhog Day. Busted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But he has that gruff voice. Washingtonian, Sears, Sears. You know? Yeah. <laughs> his real gruff voice. But he was the first acting Murray, and he got his brother to come on to the Second City, where he he was trained under Del Close, who trained most of the great people from uh, SNL. Uh, like <clears throat> basically, just look at the early list of people that were at Second City and what it, they were going on to become. Second City <laughs> at that point in time, and this isn't to take anything away from now. Yeah, but Second City at that time was basically the Juilliard of comedic acting. Yes, it was. Like it ain't. Then think about it. Like the people that came out of it: John Belushi, yep. Harold Ramis, yep. Gilda Radner, mm-hmm. and then uh, John Candy. Then you go up to the Toronto area: Dan Aykroyd, Martin Short, Andrea Martin, Eugene Levy. Uh, then go to later years Mike Myers Chris Farley uh, Tim Meadows Goddamn George Wynn You know People like that They all came Tim Kazarinski All those people came out of Second City Yeah Yeah And more Even more recently Tina Fey And Keegan-Michael Key Was in uh, Second City Detroit Yeah So It it kicked out a lot of great people From the Second City And they still are Yeah and they still are Yeah Now Um Bill's quote on uh, the Second City, like it could have been any other actor in terms of him becoming famous. There were a lot of actors though more talented than me at the Second City who quit before they even got to a paying status. Weird luck. I had no other option. I had enough successes. I could stand a few failures. Um, that's the thing about the Second City. You learn the difference between a cheap joke and a good joke. 
I will say that uh, from this personal experience, they do teach you. I, I, I do, like the of the little time I was at Second City, two big lessons that I got out of it. Number one, get out of my own way. By that meaning, you know what I'm saying? Like when I'm acting or whatever, it's not me. Yeah. Get out of my way. It's like uh, don't worry about how am I gonna look stupid. It's not me. I'm playing somebody else. Just be in the moment. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Get out of my own way. And you know, also another gr- a real great one is just like you know what I'm saying. Just yes and that yes and thing. Just go with it. Like whatever it is, like how stupid as it may be, go with it. Like it really helps. I mean, that's the number one thing in a scene partner, right? Yeah. I mean, you you don't. Part of what you're figuring out, right, if we're going to get down to the, the kernel of it for everybody, yeah. you're working through that fear. Because yes. there's, a, there's always, I don't care how long you've been doing it, and yeah. you'll see this even in veteran actors. It never makes it to screen for obvious <laughs> reasons. But everybody is deep down worried of looking foolish, especially when they're the focal point of, uh, of attention. I mean, that's why you get, you know, everyone says that they're more afraid of public speaking than of dying. Mm-hmm. Right, it's that that same kind of a thing, and so if, when you're getting up there and you're with a scene partner, yeah, and you're working with somebody, because I, I obviously I haven't done it for years, but back when I was doing stage and that sort of thing, having somebody you could count on, that hey, you know what, we might look horribly stupid, this might not be funny, but we're gonna rise or fall together, we're yeah. gonna win or lose together. Mm-hmm. That is massive. And just getting to that point mm-hmm. is a big, big thing in terms of, especially because comedy, yeah. by its very nature, unless you're mm-hmm. doing stand-up, yeah. it's a team sport. My thing is, when that sort of happens, because I do it, do it a lot of TMIs, so, there are certain times where you'll have a guest or a person that will forget their line, and you just kind of have to step in there a little bit. Hey, I got you back. Let's kind of get you back to where you were. Let's get your line back in there. Or there are times where, like, I have nothing to do. Or another say I'm just there for, like, screen decoration, or I'm, I'm there to make a funny move or whatever. Like, I have somebody with me, or, like, if it's not working, like, I go to that person. I'm just trying to make that person laugh. Yeah, and we just and then like we get it like we're trying to make each other laugh. Fuck the rest of them; they don't like it. Fuck them. So, <laughs> but but usually when you do that, it ends up being funnier. Yeah. So like just like just think of it as that route. Like just try to make your friend laugh. Well, and unless you're somewhat masochistic, like I can be from time to time, where you can actually laugh at somebody dying on stage. Yeah. Which I still feel bad about this handful of times that I've I've been that person laughing. Yeah. Most of the time, most people it makes them so incredibly uncomfortable, especially when it comes to live audience. Yeah. Like you go to the the rise of um, the awkward humor that you've got from like uh, anything from the office to parks and rec or whatever, where you basically have you you as the audience member become the quote unquote straight man in the room or yeah. when they got that moment they're mugging to the camera they're breaking yeah, the fourth yeah, wall yeah, yeah, yeah. that's when you're kind of going like they're acknowledging or your experience is like oh this is so awkward it's cringeworthy comedy right just look at the camera real quick like, and yeah. it works when you remove the audience from mm-hmm. having to feel it physically in the room yeah. but when you get into those situations like you could at a second city or a TMI mm-hmm. If they can tell how uncomfortable you are, it makes them extremely uncomfortable. It's contagious, and it can kill the comedy. Yeah, true. It is true. So yeah. it's better to just, you know, even if it's not great writing, mm-hmm. even if somebody stepped on a line or yeah. forgot a line, yeah. have fun with it. You'll yeah. survive. Yeah. So Bill got his start at Second City under Dell Close. He graduated to the main stage in 1973 and actually joined the same week as John Candy. 
Isn't that crazy? And he, if, if you actually go to the Second City Hollywood, you see like the old pictures of them in Chicago. You see this great post picture of a bearded, uh, mustache Bill Murray and a very young John Candy like doing their problem stages. It's great. To watch. Which we got to do a deep dive on him sometime. He was a, oh, yeah, I would he was love a great to, I would. actor and from everything I've ever seen and heard, a really sweet guy. And I think this past week, it was like 26 years since he passed away. Yeah, they, like they, that. they, they, that's all a lot of Twitter posts about it. We're yeah. why, me and my wife watched Cool Runnings about three or four weeks ago. I actually, still holds up. I actually watched Armed and Dangerous the other night. There you go. Uh, that's my favorite John Candy movie. I like but, a lot of them, but there's just yeah, one. Yeah. Uncle Buck's probably my favorite. It's okay. Uh, yeah, uh, all right, but back Fine. to back to Bill. All right, so on September twenty first. 1970, on his 20th birthday, Bill actually made an ill-advised joke about a bomb while boarding the airplane to Denver, and of course, federal agents were summoned. But while they did not find a bomb, what they did find was 10 pounds of marijuana valuing at $20,000, which uh, which adjusted for today's inflation would be over $117,000 worth of of marijuana. So he was arrested, taken to jail. And actually, uh, Bernie Salins, the co-founder and owner of the Second City, actually had to bail him out. <laughs> <laughs> um, a bill was actually eventually sentenced to probation. <laughs> yeah. And also, uh, one of his jobs while he was working at the Second City was he uh, worked at Little Caesars Pizza. So, In addition to being a mule, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So, and another great story. One night while performing in Toronto in 1974, uh, there was this one particular heckler who had been yelling throughout the show and who was really drunk and was really messing up the cast or whatever. Bill apparently had enough. Uh, he actually went on the mic and said, ladies and gentlemen, someone's been interrupting our show all night, but he won't do it anymore. Then Bill jumped off stage, grabbed that dude, tacking him down to the ground, and broke his arm. <laughs> And then, took, and then tossed him out in the alley. Then he came back in, finished the show, came back out, found the dude a little bit later. His arm still broken. He actually got the guy a beer and drove him to the hospital. <laughs> That's the first of many Bill Murray stories we got That's here. That's a man. fantastic Bill Murray story. <laughs> Broke his arm. That's dope right there. Actually, I had a similar incident. No, the best part yeah. is... Yeah. Buying him a beer and taking him to the hospital afterwards. I had a, I had somewhat of an experience with a group of hecklers. Like that was my one time I did stand up. I wasn't as nice. Uh, I, I like I didn't get physical. Conf- I didn't get physical with any of them. But they knew if I stayed, I would have. <laughs> so I got the hell out of there as quick as possible. Man, I was so heated. <laughs> All right, so there's but, literally but, nothing more disrespectful you can do yeah, than heckle somebody. But I get it. Yeah, I get it. It's the one and only time I did stand up. I'll never do it again. As a result. <laughs> uh, now, also when they were doing the touring company, that's another. Thing he was a part of the touring company of the second city. Just uh, real quick, yeah. When you get famous, I'm yeah. starting a movement to get you to do stand up. I'm not. No, don't do that, please. We're don't. all gonna. We're all gonna demand I, it. I, I do. I'll do a GoFundMe to get you to stand up. I appreciate it, but that's the itch I don't need scratching anymore. Okay. It's it's not for you. <laughs> I know it's not for you. I know it's not for me at all. But at the same time, I don't I don't want to do it. I don't. All right, so <laughs> you got this nervous laughter going. Now. Yeah, I am. Because you can nervous. seriously like, see me doing no, that. No, I really can. It's like no, no, AJ, we're good. We don't have to do that. I'll keep it in my back pocket. We'll see. God. All right, so back to the touring company. Now, they actually got booked to play uh, St. Mary's College in Indiana. Now, the show went great, and the cast actually got invited back to the the, uh, school president's house for a private reception. Later that night, however, they were uh, driving home, and the producer of that show, uh, Joyce Sloan, was sensing something was wrong. She looked back there and saw Bill had stole the Indian rug from the president's home. (laughs) They, they had to drive all the way back. Bill had to give the rug back and apologize to the guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, he actually stayed there for a couple years, and eventually, in 1974, he uh, moved to New York and actually was recruited by his mentor, John Belushi, to be a feature player on the National Lampoon Radar Hour. Now, if you want to see what that was like, go check out you know A Funeral and Stupid Gesture on Netflix to kind of see what the well, National Lampoon Radar Hour was like. And honestly, it's different now, but it's it still exists. They're still doing it. Yes, they are. Yeah, so. it, it's uh, it's a it's pretty much YouTube based, uh, internet based now. But yeah, there is a still a National Lampoon Radio Hour. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm I was seeing was it Shapiro was posting some stuff about it recently. It's mm-hmm. worth watching. Yeah. Or, listening to however you want to do it. Now, here's another interesting fact that a lot of people don't realize. Uh, Bill Murray was on a Saturday Night Live before he was on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, in uh, 1975, he was actually part of the Lampoon show, their off-Broadway show, Lemmings or whatever. Mm -hmm. Bill was part of that for a little bit, and that led to his first TV role as a cast member of an ABC-based variety show called Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell. Mm -hmm. He was one of the cast members. And actually, their uh, group of actors for that particular one were termed the primetime players. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, no, the ready for for primetime players because of all these great actors, whatever. But really, the only person anybody remembers is Bill Murray. Yeah. Anyway, that show only lasted one season. It was canceled in 1976. Right after that, Bill actually went to Los Angeles for a little bit and worked with this... um, thing called TV TV for a couple of things. They were kind of like Gorilla Video, mm-hmm. early Gorilla Video. And then eventually got noticed again. He actually auditioned. He was actually, If you look at the original auditions for it, Saturday Night Live, Bill was there. He auditioned mm-hmm. for it. And uh, you actually see his audition tape among Belushi and Gilda Radner and Chevy Chase and Gary Morris and all those other people. But they didn't pick him for some reason. They actually, actually chose Dan Aykroyd over Bill Murray. Well, and just a note to keep in mind there, Mm-hmm. Yeah, talking about his mentor, mm-hmm. John Belushi. Mm-hmm. John was responsible for bringing a lot of people to New York, to National Lampoons, and eventually to SNL because yeah. the, the man was a workaholic. He set up Toronto. Yeah. He set up Second City Toronto and got those people up there. So John Candy and like Martin Short and all those guys recruited those people. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So it's crazy to think about. And he actually... I mean, recent, it, yeah. when, when you really understand yeah. his role in the business and in the, the education and the mentoring and all that, yeah. it really drives home what a truly devastating loss it was when he died so young. That's right. And also... Could uh, you imagine him like yeah. being like our grandfather's age or something oh now? Oh, my God. And what he could be doing for young comedians? True. He young could be, actors? Yeah, he could be like the, t- the, t- the grand poobah of the new second I'm city. Saying. The grand poobah of second city. Or, or, you know, Belushi's primetime players. I don't know. I'm just yeah, saying, yeah, like, it's it. a really sad loss. It is. It really is. And like I said, in recent interviews to this day, he says that John Belushi is the very best theater actor he has ever seen. I mean, all you got to do is watch. Yeah, look, he's he was a monster, man. Belushi was a monster. And it actually is a great thing on YouTube where they actually do an article on the Second City. And you see... Uh, very young John Belushi training young Harold Ramis and young Bill Murray and they're doing like wild takes and stuff like that like like improv exercises or whatever before they go out and you like it's like you see he's pretty much in command oh so yeah it's like wow you know it's, it's, it's cool to, it's cool to, it looks how raw Harold well, and, the, and, Harold, and the general and public Bill doesn't yeah. pick up on it because yeah. he comes across in every every role he yeah. comes across as a wild man and then what you hear of him behind the scenes generally he is a wild now, man yeah. was what a wild man he was and yeah. he was mm-hmm. but on top of it there was just this this unstoppable force of comedic brilliance yes and, and again a funny word to put in there especially given mm-hmm. what ended up eventually killing him yeah a massive amount of discipline 
My favorite John Belushi, just off track a little bit. My favorite John Belushi skit ever, personally. Well, two of them. One is his early SNL skit where he's playing like I think Beethoven. Yeah. Where he doesn't say he doesn't say anything, but he's like playing all these like modern songs. So he's like playing like Tire Yellow Ribbon, but his all the facial expressions or whatever. And then he ends with him doing Ray Charles, like uh, Hey, Mama, don't you treat me wrong? <laughs> it's, it's, it's Beethoven. It's great. And then another one, and it's very poignant and ironic. Don't look back in anger. That's the name of the skit. Where it's mm-hmm. like it's basically like a televised pre-taped skit where Blue himself is supposed to be the last remaining living cast member of SNL. Yeah. And he goes to the grave sites of all the other people that have died. You know what I'm saying? So you see him in the graves of uh, John Belushi, Jane Curtin, uh, Dan Aykroyd, etc. And he's like, uh, yeah, I can't believe they're all gone. And I'm still alive. You want to know why I'm still alive? Because I'm a dancer. And he starts dancing on their graves. <laughs> and like, so the great irony is of those people, he, he, was, the, he was the first one to pass yeah. away. Yeah. But, uh, but going back to uh, Billy... Uh, he officially joined the cast of Saturday Night Live back when it was still called NBC Saturday Night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he joined that in the second season. Once the House Hotel show got canceled, they took the name Saturday Night Live immediately. Uh, now, Bill at the time was like 25 or 26 when he joined the cast. And he joined after Chevy Chase, who had been known for his Pratt Falls and Weekend Update. He became the show's first breakout star and left to pursue a movie career. Now, the, the skit that really made Bill was a skit called The Apology Skit. You know this one? Yes, I do. Yeah. Now, prior to this, months he had been on the show for months, and he had basically had just been relegated to supporting roles. Like Bill himself said, like he was a uh, second cop, second FBI guy, the guy holding the map. He was just background people for, you know, the main SNL guys. And finally, he decided to kind of get it. <laughs> in, 19, in 1977, he basically decided to kind of get some chutzpah and put together a little skit or whatever and he actually sat down in this nice little desk and has his name on it Bill Murray and he addressed the audience hello my name is Bill Murray or Billy for short but everyone around here calls me the new guy and he basically starts going into this thing like I don't think I'm making it on the show I mean I'm a funny guy I just haven't been so funny on the show and he's like he's like, like, he's, like he said he's funny I'm just not funny like at the right time and I'm losing my chops in my personal life. He actually goes into the story about how Dan Aykroyd takes home a lady that Bill was trying to impress at a party. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And then he starts to curry favor with the audience, talking about his like dead dad and his, his large <laughs> family. And how he needs their support. Yeah, and like uh, and he's telling him like I'm not looking, I'm not looking for you know like uh, money or anything like that. Just, just if just we could just see in your heart to just laugh at something I say, even if it's not funny. Just laugh, <laughs> but that sort of like like unbiased, like sincerity, like smirking sincerity, that's what really won him over with the audience. And from then on, smooth sailing. Oh, yeah. Now, a lot of people don't realize how important Bill Murray's casting is to the history of SNL. Oh, it's pivotal. Bill was the very first new guy mm-hmm. on SNL, the very first one, and basically him getting cast showed it pretty much sent a message to both. The world and the Chevy Chase, particularly that, like if you leave, there's somebody else in the wings. It's going to take your place, taking your place, and it'll probably be better than you. In this case, definitely better than you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, 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 Chevy Chase yeah. is cool. But I mean, here's the here's the thing that yeah. that I always wrestle with yeah. because 
his dramatic shift, and by dramatic, I'm talking specifically about Bill Murray. Yeah. Later on in the career. Yeah. For me, some of it was better than others, mm-hmm. right? Like because I, look, I, I fell in love with it and and with his work mm-hmm. as a comedic actor. Yeah. The thing with Chevy is that Chevy never left comedy. Yeah. Now we can talk about background and you know good or bad, easy, mm-hmm. hard to work with, whatever. That's a whole nother thing. Just talking purely in terms of the work once it shows up. Wait, wait, wait. Actually, I take that back. He tried once. It was some movie uh, Chevy did. He tried once. I think it's some movie called like Over the Rainbow. It was him and like Sigourney Weaver. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I'm just, I, exactly. <laughs> it's an all exactly. right? But he, right? Tr- but he tried. He tried it one time, but yeah. what I'm saying is the majority of his work, even when he came back, because you know he took the hiatus to raise his kids, mm-hmm. even when he came back and he jumped into community, yeah, right back to doing that. When he did, you know, Vegas Vacation, right back to doing the comedic side. Yeah, he's always been a solid comedic presence. So the only thing I'm saying is that it's not, in order to be as fair as possible, yeah, I'm gonna put him in the same league. But I mean, to a certain extent. Even though timing doesn't work out as much, it's almost like trying to argue between, uh, you know, Michael Jordan and Kobe. It's like they have very different games. But the both they're still playing the same yeah. sport, but it's very different the way the guys work. And both are fantastic at what they do. Exactly, and, that, so, and that's my only thing because, like, yeah. well, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna come down to it, I'm gonna say my favorite movies. Yeah. Bill's probably gonna pop up more often than Chevy Chase, but yeah. it's not fair to act like Chevy Chase doesn't have some good stuff. Like the only one that I know a lot of people love, I don't go for as much is Fletch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fletch is a little more, a little, little more offbeat. But like, I love Fletch. Again, talking about yeah. like that funny kind of awkward humor, kind mm-hmm. of play into the audience sort of thing. Yeah. National Lampoon's Vacation. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That was, oh my god. Yeah, that was All that great. stuff with Russ and him as the awkward dad. And yeah. yeah like, I love Chevy it. Chase killer. And again, mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I'll put National Lampoon's Vacation mm-hmm. on the same thing as as a Caddyshack or a Stripes. Oh yeah, that's great. Fletch for me is still good, but it's just. It's not as. I got you. Does that make sense? I got you. I got you. Okay. But going back to the significance of Bill uh, being sure, on the show, sure. like, like I said, like it showed the people that not only did this show, could the show be a launching pad for movie headliners themselves, but also that the show itself is bigger than any one person. Well, I mean, it really yeah. showed, showed that the, the show had legs. It was mm-hmm. going to have a life, which, yeah. holy shit, I mean, we're closing on 50 years. Almost, yeah. Almost 50 years, yep. It's crazy, isn't it? It's insane. Now let's go ahead and get it into... It's had a lot of ups and downs, yeah. but that's a whole other yeah. show. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get into a couple of Bill's characters. Now, Bill's most famous character, and I know you love this one, I do too, Nick the Lounge Singer. <laughs> <laughs> and like I say, it's, <laughs> I love Nick the Lounge Singer because it's so silly. Mm-hmm. It's basically Bill Murray playing this like 70s lounge singer who sings like current songs in the drawn-out, you know, schmaltzy manner. And he always has Paul Schaefer with him on piano. Yeah. Yeah. But he always has like a different like uh, name or whatever, like for whatever whatever uh, place they are or whatever season it is. Like, he'll, if, if it's, like, summertime, he'll be like, how my name's Nick Summers or how my name's Nick Springs. Uh, like, he always had a different name, yeah. And also, it'd be like, uh, hey, I'm in, if I'm performing in a prison, hey, my name's Nick Slammer. <laughs> or one of them I saw, he was, like, performing at, like, an Indian casino. He was, like, Nick Silvercloud or something like that. <laughs> he always changes his last name. But he would always break out to these crazy songs, singing his heart out. Not the best singer, but he you know, he's really getting it, man. Like, and, of course, the most famous one, really, the one that everybody knows, Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars. Thank like you. <laughs> Give me those Star Wars. 
Jesus, don't let them in. (laughs) (laughs) Now, they've brought Nick back several times, most recently for the anniversary shows. Now, the 25th anniversary show was great. That was the one where he was the Indian thing. Yeah. And he was going into the crowd and seeing all those. You see, see for the first time, all the crazy celebrities that were in the crowd. So you see, like, Jack Nicholson and Catherine Zeta-Jones and Leonardo DiCaprio and Drew Barrymore and all these people that are there. And he goes in there and he starts singing songs about those people. The first one I remember was Catherine Zeta-Jones. He's like, and me and Catherine Zeta, Zeta. He starts, is, is it Zeta or Zeta? She's like, Zeta. Okay. Zeta, Zeta-Jones, Zeta-Jones, Zeta-Jones. <laughs> and then, of course, he sees Drew Barrymore again. We talk about that. It's like, uh, oh, my God, I'm so happy to see you. Uh, could you? Could we cut off the mic for a second? And he leans in and says, we are so glad you cleaned up. Mic back on, please. Mic back on. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> but the most recent one at the 40th anniversary one was it's stupid, but, like, it was so simple but so stupid. <laughs> Was him singing the love theme from Jaws? <laughs> it was just, just him screaming Jaws. <laughs> Jaws! Get away from me! Jaws! You goddamn Jaws! <laughs> you took me to the end. You bastard Jaws! <laughs> hey, you know what? Mm-hmm. Keep it simple. It was so funny, though. <laughs> Uh, second one after that would be uh, the nerds, yeah. Lisa, Lisa Lubner and Todd De, De La Muka, I believe. Yeah, De La Muka. It's him and Gilda Radner, and they were just these two nerdy kids. Just be, like where they're just in different situations. They would just be like, uh, he's trying to mack on her hard, and she's like, Nah, Todd, leave you alone, Todd. You know stuff like that. <laughs> the funniest one is like they're supposed to be trying to make out like on the couch, but he he's like. He like he like he's like giving her like wine or some shit like that or whatever, and keeps like over over drinking her and making a make a break character. <laughs> <laughs> so she's just like laughing her ass off because he keeps doing this to her. She's got wine yeah. coming down her face. Another really yeah, another funny one was like they had a plumber. It was Dan Aykroyd. He had I think it's the first time they showed like ass crack on the show. Yeah, because he. <laughs> He's a plumber. He turns around. He has his ass crack out, and they just like making fun of the ass crack. <laughs> I think the craziest one where he put the pencil in the ass crack. Yeah. And <laughs> like wow. <laughs> and also another thing that a lot of people tend to skip over. He was a weekend update anchor. Yeah. Yeah. He was actually a weekend update anchor with Jane Curtin from 1978 to 1980, right around the time they left. A lot of people forget that because like yeah, they have they have well, multiple. I mean, he players. wasn't he wasn't the longest anchor, right? No, no, he's so on, that's yeah. that's why it's easier to forget. Yeah, but uh, but and it was it, good. I yeah. mean, it wasn't his most memorable yeah. sketches, but it was good. But in the initial thing, it was him. Uh, it was actually Chevy Chase first. Then it was just Jane Curtin for like a little bit. Then it became Jane Curtin and Dan Aykroyd, the whole Jane you ignorant slut thing. <laughs> then it became Jane and uh, uh, Bill Murray to the end. You know what I'm saying? Now, Bill, like I say, he lasted only uh, really like about. Yeah, Jane, you ignorant slut. I was just going back. That's yeah. so funny. Well, and it, well, the great thing about that line. That, the point counterpoint, yeah. Well, no, but the great thing about that line is that it actually got a second life on The Office. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when Michael's threatening to jump off the roof. Yeah. yeah. Dwight, you ignorant slut. <laughs> And Jerry Seinfeld did it when he was uh, like a guest on Weekend Update to, yeah, Jimmy, Fa- yeah, yeah. Uh, Jerry. to Jimmy Fallon, who was doing an impression of Jerry Seinfeld. He goes, Jerry, you ignorant slut. 
That's such a great line. Yeah. yeah, so like Bill's only on there for like about three years. And Bill is one of the many performers who was one of the who was part of the uh, SNL Five Timers Club. Yep. He is he is hosted exactly five times. Uh, some of the other five timers, like for those of you who don't know, the Five Timers Club is an exclusive group of SNL hosts who have hosted SNL five times or more. Now, in that group, the higher echelon would be guys like Alec Baldwin, 17 times, Steve Martin, 15 times, John Goodman, 12 times, Tom Hanks, 9 times, and the most recent people to join the club, Melissa McCarthy, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Scarlett Johansson, and the most recent one is Jonah Hill. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, so, like, very exclusive club. Solid performers. And, like I said, Bill left in 1980 with all the original cast and crew when Laura Michaels left the show. And then right after that was the Eddie Murphy years, and that's a whole nother story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but Bill did come back to host SNL during the Eddie Murphy years in 1982. And like I said, we talked about yeah, it earlier. This is great. One of my favorite monologues of SNL ever is a very exacerbated Bill Murray coming out. Like, just, he, he just would not, st- he would not settle down. Like, oh, my God. So amazing. So fantastic. And like, you know, I got, I got this, is, this is guy in the cast I really love. Call him out. Yeah, yeah, Eddie Murphy. You bring him out. So it's Eddie Murphy <laughs> and Bill Murray on stage together. Oh, yeah. To this day, it's still the only thing they have done together. And they're both fans. Fantastic! I don't know why they haven't done more stuff together. And then actually, they start doing the whole uh, Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor, you know, uh, thing for stir crazy. Yeah, we bad. You bad? Yeah. <laughs> it was actually it was great to watch, man. It really How about this? Yeah. Shot for shot remake of Blazing Saddle. Oh my god. Bill Murray, Eddie, Eddie Murphy. Murphy. Oh my god. <laughs> Let's get it done. Come on, Hollywood. I would watch that. Who wouldn't? I would watch that. Who wouldn't? Bill Murray is Jim. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And Eddie Murphy is Bart. I'm I'm down. I'm down for that. That would be brilliant. <laughs> shoot, shoot, this hand shit. <laughs> Little bastard shot me in the yes. ass. <laughs> All right, now, one of the more famous incidents that happened during Bill's tenure, oh. the infamous <laughs> fist fight between him and Chevy Chase. Now, according to and the, you corrected me when we were doing the SNL thing a while yeah. back because I had the impetus wrong. So mm-hmm. let's make sure we go over that well as far as how that thing started. Okay, now well, I'm going by the book "Live from New York: The Uncensored History of SNL" as told by its stars, guests, and writers. Chevy Chase actually recalls being confronted by Bill Murray right before an SNL uh, NSL broadcast when Chevy Chase came back to guest host. Now the issue was because of the fact that Chevy insisted. I'm coming back and doing Weekend Update over Jane Curtin, who was the host at that time and was doing very well. Uh, this actually led to Bill Murray and Chevy Chase actually trading blows. Now, Murray, uh, <laughs> the insults that pretty much instigated the real thing here was uh, Murray telling, uh, actually, Chevy Chase started first. Chevy Chase, uh, going by his uh, going by his pockmarked face, is making fun of Bill Murray's pockmarked face. He said, like, Bill Murray's face looked like something Neil Armstrong landed on. Or basically comparing it to the surface of the moon. And Bill fired back with, why don't you go fuck your wife? I heard she needs it. <laughs> now, while this is happening. That's the, quick. Now, now while that's, this is happening. Yeah, while this is happening, the, peop- the person that's really goading the fight between the two motherfuckers is John Belushi. Of course, because he's the coach. <laughs> yeah, he's the coach. And also, he did, really didn't like Chevy. <laughs> so, Understandably so, so. He really wanted Bill to just clock that motherfucker. Well, look, the, yeah. the, the, the big problem, mm-hmm. and this is why I feel like... Mm-hmm. And again, maybe deservingly so, but part of the reason why Chevy Chase gets just such a shitty rap mm-hmm. is that when he left after season one, mm-hmm. 
he wasn't exactly great with it. And going by Bill Murray's own thing about you have to give somebody two years to figure out who they are after they get famous and that whole thing. Yeah. That was immediately after he became famous, mm-hmm. and he managed to piss off the only group of people who really knew him to a large degree. Yeah. And so you have one, two, three, four, five, six, a dozen people yeah. who have nothing but hate for you mm-hmm. and still have a stage on yep. which to project that hate. Yes. It's part of what's going to make him look And bad. they did. I remember, like, it was a, a little while later, they did, like, this whole skit about Jeopardy in the future, and Steve Martin was the host, and they were all, like, like crazy Star Trek outfits, and Chevy Chase was there. And it was, like, a... Like uh, failed stars, and then, and then the, the and the category was failed stars, and then the clue was uh, comedian whose career fizzled after leaving NBC Saturday Night. <laughs> You're like, I'm sorry, that was Chevy Chase. <laughs> Chevy Chase. <laughs> Which, funny enough, mm-hmm. he did have a moment there when he was starting to clean up mm-hmm. after he was uh, getting off all the drugs and everything. Where yeah. his career definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least he had a good deal because he still kept getting paid. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, the argument eventually turned physical between the two. It had to be broken up by John Belushi. And then this is right before, he, like I said, he had to go out and host. And actually, the episode, I see the episode on air. Funny enough, Bill Murray has to come out during that dialogue, during that whole little thing, too, and they have, to little, have a little scene together. They're professional as hell on screen. Mm-hmm. But you can kind of tell he's a little frazzled. So. Well, and look, this, this whole dynamic will come up again when we get to Caddyshack. Yes, we will. So, um, Bill Murray himself says it was an Oedipal thing. Like, it was a rapture. You know what I'm saying? Because we all felt mad that he had left us, and somehow I was the anointed avenging angel who had to speak for everyone. But Chevy and I are friends now, so it's all fine. Which is weird that he says that, because I remember reading Chevy Chase's book, which was only a few years ago, and they said they tried to interview Bill Murray to do it. He's like, like, like what do you want to interview me for? We're doing a, uh, what do you want to interview me for? We're doing a book about Chevy Chase. Like, why the fuck are you doing that? That kind of thing. Yeah, but by the same token, I mean, he's notorious for like being like, I don't want I don't want to be in your fucking interview. Yeah, bye. I mean, he's he's like he's big enough, he's famous enough, right? At this I, point, he can say no. Well, he gets nothing out of it. Exactly, I can say no. I mean, if he's gonna volunteer himself to do something, mm-hmm. that's at this point gonna be because he really truly cares. Like, honestly, like not that anybody's doing it that I'm aware of, but yeah. maybe if you're gonna do something about his brother, he might get involved. Maybe. And I'm just gonna guess because it's family. Exactly. Short of it that, it's like that's exactly what it is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. The dude's playing golf. Yeah, exactly. Like, his life is set. When he feels like it, he does a movie or a TV appearance. Actually, getting to that. Now we're going to get into some facts about Bill Murray's lifestyle itself. Now, since you brought that up, uh, Bill Murray is notoriously very detached from the Hollywood scene. And this is the part I really admire the most about him. He does not have an agent. No, he doesn't. A manager. And he only fields calls and offers for scripts and roles from a personal on a personal one eight hundred number with a voicemail that he checks infrequently. Yeah, yeah. Now, well, I yeah, mean, that yeah. goes to what we were talking about before, Sophia Coppola. Mm-hmm. The way she got him, mm-hmm. she never said for sure, as far as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of phone calls and voicemails. Yeah, for you. Uh, he finally called her back. Yeah, and then and even when she called him, even when he called her back, he still said, "I might do it." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then they worried and worried, and then finally he showed up the first day, and that was that. Uh, now, getting into that, that practice actually has, has a downside because of that. He actually, as it has prevented him from taking certain parts of movies that he was actually excited about. Among those, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, mm-hmm. Monsters, Inc., the, squ- the, the Squid and the Whale, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, 
and Little Miss Sunshine. He actually wanted to do those movies, but he, you know, he, you know, he didn't get it up, get to them in time. Now, when they but, asked, but it, oh, say, but when they get asked Bill himself about that particular um, practice, he said like he's actually content with his inaccessibility. He said like it's not that hard. Like if you got a good script, and if you have a good script, that's what gets you involved. You know, what I'm saying people say they can't find me. Well, if you can write a good script, it's a lot harder than finding someone. And I don't worry about it. It's not my problem. Well, and I was going to say, the other thing, too, right? So mm-hmm. you're going to play the Hollywood game. You're going to have an agent. You're going to have a manager. Mm-hmm. That's 25 30% of your income. Yeah. Then you still got to pay your lawyer and your accountant. Yep. It's all him. Bill Murray, at this point in his mm-hmm. career, if you want him, you know where to find him. If he decides he wants to make a couple extra dollars or more frequently, I'm sure at this point it's... Am I actually interested in the project? Is, is, is the work good? If he likes the work, yeah. then he calls you back. And guess what? Even if you're offering him scale because you're broke ass yeah. or you're offering him $35 million to come do whatever the part is. He's coming. He's coming. And mm-hmm. he's going to pay his lawyer whatever the hourly is and take yeah. everything home. Exactly. Like, yeah. he definitely has a clock. And plus, yeah. the other thing, too, not having an agent, not having a manager, yeah. there's nobody bugging him to go out and do this appearance or that appearance. You need to say this or say that. Mm-hmm. He's able to just live for somebody who's an international superstar. He lives the most normal life yes. he could possibly hope to live. Exactly. This, this is definitely the count. This is partly why so many people admire him so much, because the fact he doesn't go through the hoops and hurdles that most Hollywood stars do. He pretty much just does his own shit. Well, it's like, he's like that pretty close to probably be uh, Joe Rogan. And then I'm pretty sure Bruce Willis, because yeah. he took his agent and they went and started their own production company. Yeah. He pretty much like, you know, talk to my producer, essentially, and they do their own thing. So it's, yeah. it's definitely got some serious benefits to it. And especially once you've arrived. Yeah. What's the point of con- continuing to be on the treadmill? I would love to be at that point. Just jump to God. the side and do your thing. God, I would love to be to that point, man. Like, I could just go out, party a little bit, like, check my shit, like, hey, let me have something for you. Cool. I'll go check it out. I would just love to be at the point where I'm back on the treadmill. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Instead of doing all the behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. shit, you know, get into something real. Let's get into some Murray facts here. Now, okay. Mur- now, Bill was actually pulled over by the Swedish police on suspicion of driving a golf cart under the influence of alcohol. I don't think there was a suspicion. Yeah, right. There was a fact. He uh, accidentally broke Robert De Niro's nose while filming the movie Mad Dog and Glory. <laughs> Uh, he actually appeared in Scrooge with three of his brothers. They are actually in the movie. Yep. John, Joel, and Brian. Brian plays a father, I believe. Okay. Yeah, in a flashback. Uh, he, Like I said, he uh, actually performed the vocals of the song The Best Thing in the John Waters movie, Polyester. Okay. He, he actually sang on that. And actually, he sang, sings a lot, particularly on the uh, uh, National Lampoon Radio Hour. There was a song called Kung Fu Christmas. <laughs> and apparently it's a favorite song of Tom Hanks and whenever they could they would get Bill to come to uh, Tom Hanks' Christmas party and sing Kung Fu Christmas Martin Short joined in with him one year Steve Martin they all apparently they're all fans of Kung Fu Christmas yeah we should make that one of our traditions yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah Kung Fu Christmas <laughs> and also speaking of radio work uh, there was an early version of the Fantastic Four uh, on a radio play Bill was the voice of the Human Torch Johnny Storm. <laughs> yeah. Fun stuff. Uh, in 2001, he... Should get him for the live action. Yeah, yeah, right. In 2001, he starred with Sigourney Weaver on an off-Broadway play called The Guys, where he played a fireman that lost eight of his guys in 9-11. Now, they actually did a movie version of this of this uh, particular play, and Murray's part was actually played by Anthony uh, LaPaglia. Okay. So, uh, and of course, we talked about he frequently uh, works with... 
uh, directors like Harold Ramis, Ivan Reitman, Wes Anderson, Jim Jumush, Jumush, or whatever the name is. Um, he actually rubs some collaborators the wrong way because he has a tendency to rewrite and improvise his way through scripts until many of his scenes are barely recognizable from the original versions. Now, most, uh, However, most of the collaborators that he works with tend to find that it's actually an improvement. Well, yeah, and I mean, you know, we've we've talked about this a lot when it comes to comedy, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's in in a lot of ways, it's a roadmap. Mm-hmm. You know, ideally, if the writing is good, you're gonna have something, and th- this goes for everything. But it's even more true, I think, in comedy because mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna rely on the performer to sell the joke, yeah. to sell whatever the physical comedy side of it is, and so mm-hmm. if. if if they can work their way into it and warm up past it, yeah. you're going to get better than you ever did sitting around having a conversation. As an improvisational actor, it is so much funnier to... It, it basically makes you connect more with the character itself. If you come up with some crazy backstory about the character's life, or if you're provided with some sort of backstory about the character's life, and you can kind of take that, do some uh, you know, some little digging around, maybe add a little something kind of like to help you know spice up the character a little bit. It helps all the time. It helps me all the time. So like, well, I, 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 I absolutely encourage it. From from a directorial standpoint, the thing I'm going to say is there's there's certain key elements that have to happen in mm-hmm. the story drivers, yeah, of right? Course, yeah, so yeah. there's you know we we and this is actually what's so great and brilliant and yeah. even though it, it comes across in some ways less polished, but it makes it better with something like Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. Understanding what your goal is in the scene. Yes. Where you're going, what your action is. Your scene goal. That is the only part that really matters. Yep. You know, if you have a joke that you really like and you're proud of as a writer, mm-hmm. if you're working well and you're doing good with your your uh, your actors, mm-hmm. have them do it. But the most important thing is, mm-hmm. and this is the hard one for some guys, yeah. being humble as a director or being humble as a writer yeah. and realizing that somebody can take your great jumping off point or an okay jumping off point, mm-hmm. make it amazing. Yeah. And here's the cool thing. For the most part, at the end of the day, Unless you got something weird right now, you're yeah. still going to get credit as though you wrote the thing that way. Yeah. So it's still going to say written by. It's yeah. still going to say directed by. Yes. And just because this person who you're fortunate enough to be working with mm-hmm. took it to a, oh my God, amazing out of this world yes. level. Yes. You should be thanking them. They're making you look amazing. Exactly. They're making your job a exactly. hundred times easier. Exactly. You put something out. You put something to this character that wasn't initially there on the page, but it works so well for the character and for the overall story. Especially on comedic, what the director's job is, is to keep the wheels from going flying off an absolutely insane uh, fucking train car that's going downhill at 400 miles an hour, and it's about to fall apart. That's what it should feel like Mm -hmm. when you're cruising down that. Yes, sir. And somehow you still manage to get everyone off the track at the end of life. There you go. If you've done that, that's a good comedy. Okay, now going back to Bill, uh, he was actually captivated by the story of a pressure luck contestant, Michael Larson, who apparently memorized the sequence of that game show's big board and raked up over $100,000 in winnings. <laughs> so he actually put commission for a screenplay to be done of this guy. He'd been trying to get it done for years. But apparently um, the Game Show Network actually did a 2003 documentary on that same guy. So like since then, that kind of diminished in. Well, it, it hurts the rights because now you have somebody else owns the rights to the story. Exactly. Uh, he's actually listed Oklahoma as his favorite musical. Uh, yeah. He uh, also is one of three, only three American actors who was nominated for an Oscar for a movie set in the territory of Japan. The other two were Marlon Brando and Red Buttons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
he turned down like uh, Poor actually, Tom Cruise. Yeah, Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not even getting to that. Uh, he turned down the role of uh, the Steve that Steve Carell had in Little Miss Sunshine, which we mentioned a little bit earlier. Yeah. But like I say, it's one of the few choices that he actually has regretted. Uh, he's actually the very first guest of the David Letterman show, Late Night with David Letterman, and also the very last guest when Dave retired in 2015. Which is actually really cool. It is cool. And I, I, I rewatched his first appearance on that. It's so crazy and energetic. He actually ends it with him doing a rendition of Olivia Newton-John's physical. And they've done many, many different like uh, things with Bill like throughout the years on Letterman. And he, that's the one talk show he frequents the most is Letterman. He loves Letterman. And uh, like he like he ends up with Olivia Newton John's physical, and every time he comes back, Paul Schaefer will play physical. I'm like, <laughs> well, most of the times he, he comes back, he play physical. But he, my favorite one of the Letterman things he did, he actually tried to coerce Super Bowl tickets from the CBS president at the time, <laughs> and he actually calls them on the show. Uh, Dave, uh, Dave has him called up, or whatever. You talking to the guy like, "Hey, this is uh, this is Bill Murray," and the guy's like, "Bill Murray, the the movie star." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we can go with that. Yeah." So, uh, oh, that, that's great. Like, I'm I'm such a big fan of yours. Really, <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I, I, I actually I was hoping for you to say something like, uh, you know, if there's anything you could do for me. <laughs> <laughs> It was great. deadpan. Yeah, it was it was so great. Yeah. Yeah, he was trying hard to get the Super Bowl tickets. <laughs> he, and that's what it is. He's got this lovable rogue mm-hmm. thing down pat. Like nobody does it better than him. No, he does not. And there's so many of his weird performances where like he'll come on the show. He's supposed to be promoting a movie or whatever. He usually comes on there in costume or like some other weird stuff and just like he'll go into this whole diatribe about something else. And then eventually like get to Dave is usually the one that eventually will get to the clip. Or whatever it is you're promoting, <laughs> and then one funny story he tells is like he, actually, funny enough, he's like sitting there in traction, like <laughs> his leg up. He's like in you know, like a like a a winter coat with a like with a hat on in track, one leg in traction, talking about a Ghostbusters three. <laughs> he's like, hey man, like uh, we did the vi- uh, the taping for the video game, and I was really having fun doing that. He really loved the video game. He yeah, he's like, uh, I, I had fun doing that, and I was walking down the street of New York. And I, and I found myself humming the damn Ghostbusters thing. And then as I'm doing this, some guy looks at, looks at me. He's like, man, give it up. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and, and people wonder why I'm so hesitant about Ghostbusters. <laughs> All right. So he actually he was played by uh, Mather Zickel, actor Mather Zickel, in the Gilda Radner movie, It's Always Something, in 2002. Funny enough, I've met Mather Ziggle several times. He's actually a really cool guy. Yeah? Yeah, I met him at a wrestling show out here in, like, Sun Valley. <laughs> and, like, been, like, Facebook friends ever since. I, I talked to him every once in a while. So he's a really cool guy. Shout out. Yeah, man. Mather Zickle. He's, he's in a lot of those David Wayne movies, like The Ten and, like, uh, okay. like those type of movies. So he's, he does a lot of the stuff with those guys. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I think he, I think he did a bunch of episodes of Reno 911 too. But yeah, going back to Bill, Bill has appeared in four movies that are in the AFI 100 funniest movies: Tootsie, uh, Ghostbusters, Groundhog Day, and Caddyshack. 
he appeared in Zombieland as a favorite of Woody Harrelson, who was, oh, that yeah. was freaking awesome. That's the best cameo ever. Mainly because of the fact that Harrelson is a huge Bill Murray fan. So that was real, and he's a like, Bill fucking Murray. That was a real moment. <laughs> yeah, like, I love, and then he's smoking weed with Bill Murray and playing Ghostbusters Ghost with Bill Murray. I'm like, dude, that, like, that was a great cameo, man. Oh, yeah, but man. the best part of it's after he gets shot. He's asking, oh, oh yeah, you, is there anything? Any regrets? Oh, Garfield. <laughs> Garfield, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, he actually shares two characters with the late Lorenzo Music, a voice actor. Um, he Garfield and Peter Venkman. Lorenzo Music was the original voice of Garfield mm-hmm. on the cartoons. Garfield and Friends. Yeah, I, I always loved Garfield. Oh, dude, I, yeah. I, I I always yeah. had a symbiotic thing with him because of his love of lasagna and Abu Dhabi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Abu Dhabi. I can't say the, 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 the little annoying cat to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it, and then also. Lorenzo Music was the voice of Peter Vankman on the real Ghostbusters cartoon. Oh, that's that's hilarious. Yeah, and then in terms of live action, yeah. Bill Murray was the voice of Garfield, and he was also the live action Peter Vankman. So they shared two characters together. Uh, also, uh, during the 2014 Oscars, uh, Bill Murray actually was on stage presenting for Best Cinematography with Amy Adams. Um, it was right after Harold Ramis had died. Yeah. So they named all the different uh, nominees and then Bill took a moment for himself and he says uh, oh we forgot one Harold Ramis for Caddyshack Ghostbusters and Groundhog Day mm-hmm. and kind of tearful wiped a tear from his eye because that was his friend you know what I'm saying that was a nice little tribute yeah and I mean we'll, we'll get into this eventually but the uh, the sad thing was how they kind of drifted apart for a minute yes but we'll, we'll get into that when we get to yes. Groundhog Day yeah. now in terms of they were yeah. together man they were a comedic oh powerhouse they were brothers man yeah they comedic brothers man uh, now, getting into sports, Bill is huge into sports, particularly uh, Chicago-based uh, sport teams like the Cubs, the Bulls, the Bears. He Get out of here with that White Sox noise. Yeah, no, no White Sox. Sorry, Rosie. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, <laughs> That's my buddy. I, I, I know, I know. <laughs> he is to the Cubs what Nicholson is to the Lakers or yeah. Spike Lee is to the Knicks, that kind of thing. That great celebrity who's always endorsing that particular team. Now, he's the co-owner of the uh, Charleston River Dogs, which is the single-A minor league team that they have for uh, the Yankees, actually. He's a co-owner. He's part owner of the... Uh, Brockton, uh, Rock, the Brockton Rocks in Massachusetts. Uh, he's listed as the on the St. Paul Saints basketball team as team psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> he's been a psychologist since 1993. He should be. Uh, like I say, he's huge. Uh, he's a huge fan of like a lot of the Chicago sports teams. He's the patron saint of forums for the uh, football manager website. Uh, he's been there since they started the game. Uh, he's part of the uh, Gold Flang Group. Uh, Gold Clang Group, excuse me, with uh, Van Shuley, uh, Mike Vick, and Jimmy Fallon. They own several minor league baseball teams, the St. Paul Saints, the Brockton Rocks, the Charleston River, uh, River Dogs, the Fort Myers Miracle, uh, the uh, Hudson Valley Renegades, the Evansville Otters, and they also run the Portland Beavers. So, and also, Bill, of course, is a diehard uh, Cubbies fan. Uh, actually, during the playoffs in 2003, he's actually filming, uh, I think, that movie Monuments Man. With, with, uh, oh, yeah, Monuments Man. He was yeah. in Italy filming that. But he had it written into his contract that he, he would get a satellite, satellite feed of the playoffs. Also, he sang Take Me Out to the Ball Game during the 2006 World Series when the Cubs won, and he was there when they won. 
And like one of the highlights of that thing is they showed Bill Murray's reaction when they won. Just the sheer joy in his face was played over and over. You see, got tears in his eyes, so happy because which know, was so yeah. much better yeah. than looking at like Matt Damon when the Sox won. True. Yeah. Because there's something about him. There's there's a again. Not to totally hammer on Damon or anyone else, mm-hmm. but there's such an interesting, like, everyman authenticity to Bill Murray. Yeah. There's, just, there's no pretension. He's a fan. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's as authentic as it can get. But, I mean, beyond that, like, he just kind of has that, that human quality. Mm-hmm. You just got to be a fan, man. Yeah. Like, but they played that clip of him just so happy over and over again. Was, Which is happier yeah. than I've ever been about baseball or probably ever will be. Because, in fact, you know, the Cubs had, like, won. Uh, I think they hadn't won. I think, over since, 100 like, years. Like, like, 1908, yeah. Something like that. It was in the 1880s, I think, or something. Something along the early, yeah. It was, like, early, early, early Late 1800s, early 1900s, anyone around that time. That's the last time it was, they won. It was longer than the Sox. Their yeah. drought was longer than the, the Red yeah. Sox. But he was there when they won. Yep. Yeah, that was crazy. And um, he's at, of course he's an avid golfer. He plays a lot of uh, Pan Am pro, uh, golf tournaments. He's co-owner of the Murray Brothers uh, Caddyshack Restaurant in uh, Jacksonville, uh, Florida, and also in uh, St. Augustine, Florida. And apparently they just opened a new one yeah, in St. Augustine in the World Golf Village Complex. Uh, he holds the position of Director of Fun for the Charleston River Dogs. He's co-owner of uh, Harold's Cabin Restaurant in Charleston, South Carolina, and he was inducted into the South Atlantic Minor League Baseball Hall of Fame in 2012. As he should be. That's right. Uh, now, we talked earlier about the whole nickname of the Murricane, about his mood swings, and I want to get into a few of his feuds. <laughs> now, Bill is known for having his mood swings. Like I said, uh, Dan Aykroyd has nicknamed him the Murricane as a result of it. Uh, Bill has said something about his reputation. He said, I remember a friend said to me a while back, you have a reputation. I said, what? He said, yeah, you have a reputation of being difficult to work with. But I only get that reputation from people I don't like working with or people who didn't know how to work or what work is. Now, Jim, Wes, Sophia, they know what it is to work. And they understand how you're supposed to treat people. Yeah. So... Now, Bill has said in interviews that he did not get along with uh, particularly like Richard Donner when they did Scrooged. Uh, they, they disagreed about everything. Now, Richard Donner himself has said uh, he, about Bill, he's supremely creative, but occasionally difficult, as difficult as any actor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, while making Charlie's Angels, him and Lucy Liu got into it. Apparently, she, <laughs> <laughs> apparently he, she, uh, he alleged, she allegedly threw punches at Murray after he told her that she couldn't act. <laughs> he like I think I think I remember some somebody said in the interview was like a Bill Murray went down a lot. He's he's the Drew Barrymore's like you you know what you're doing, Drew, Cameron Diaz. You know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. What he said to fucking uh, <laughs> Lucy, Lucy. Lou. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. And Murray claims that only he and Lucy Lou only had an argument rather than a few, and they have since made peace. Well, uh, and to be fair. Mm-hmm. I don't remember anything from that movie. I don't think I've ever seen that movie all the way through. Yeah, it really, you really miss so much. the woman can act and actually is really good and freaky weird in uh, Payback. Yeah, I, I, so, I, I, I like so that from Payback. from that film, I'll say she can act. And I will say she can act from, like I say, I'm a big fan of Elementary on CBS. She was, uh, I've she, never seen it, but I've, I've heard about she's it. She's Watson. Yeah, she's, yeah. She's, she's, she's Watson on that. She was great on that show. And actually, she directed a couple episodes, and they are really good episodes. So... I, I gotta give it to Lucy. Lucy's really good. So right. maybe she's improved since the time that her and Bill worked maybe, together. But she, maybe she, Bill encouraged her to uh, get work better. on the craft. Exactly. So there's nothing wrong with look. Actors mm-hmm. are gonna grow. Yeah, 
I mean, you you can look at it, pick them from when they started to when they're really hitting that level, and you, yeah. you'll see growth. There's very very yeah. seldom anyone who you watch from their first movie like, yeah. oh my gosh, that person. She's like, eh, there, okay. There are established okay. there are established actors who still work with acting coaches. You know what I'm saying? Especially for especially for particular parts. I'm gonna put it this way. Mm-hmm. Do you really think Dwayne The Rock Johnson doesn't have a physical trainer? Right. Do you think he's ever not had a physical trainer? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was that dry spell kind of, sort of, in between when he got hurt in Miami mm-hmm. and when he started making it in uh, wrestling, yeah. right? Yeah. But even then, you know he's at least got a partner or somebody he's with, so it makes sense because mm-hmm. acting's a muscle and a perishable yeah. skill like yeah. anything and else. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson was trained by uh, a wrestling coach who I highly recommend, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Tom Pritchard. Uh, one of the great re- wrestling coaches of all time, trained many of the great wrestlers that most people know now. And uh, like I said, The Rock is pretty much his prize pupil, though. But, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's always had somebody. Um, going back to Lost in Translation, um, apparently there was a central scene with him and Scarlett Johansson uh, where they were lying in bed together. Apparently it took multiple takes because they didn't seem to get along. Uh, she actually uh, stopped taping uh, stopped film for that day because of the fact they weren't getting along and he just started again the next day. Uh, like I said, despite all this, Sofia Coppola has said several times that Bill was a lot of fun to work with. Uh, and also Angelica Houston actually re- remarks having a um, feud with Murray while they were making The Life Aquatic with Steve Zazu. So. Which is my favorite Wes Anderson. Yeah, it is a weird Not just to... Bill Murray Wes Anderson, but Wes Anderson period. period. Yeah, I got that you. That moment when he's talking to her mm-hmm. and she's called him fake is like, are you saying I'm fake? You think mm-hmm. I'm fake? And he pulls a gun out and puts it in place. You think this is fake? You think this is fake? Yeah. All right, stop crying. He puts the gun away. I like when they just ask him he's why. He's turning he... a pregnant woman with a yeah, Glock. Yeah. I, like, I, like, I just like the little press conference they had when they asked him why he's doing He's like, revenge. <laughs> I, like, I like how the interns have to share a Glock. Yeah, yeah. It's so weird. <laughs> Everyone gets a yeah. Glock. The interns share a Glock. So weird. All right, so uh, we talked about his missed roles. There are a lot. Like, I'm looking at the list. I have a whole page of roles that he could have had but didn't. Like, I'm just going to go through a few of them. Boom and Animal House was written for him, but they wouldn't let him go. Yeah. Uh, they wanted him for Alvin and the Chipmunks as Dave Seville. Uh, it, they wanted him for uh, Belushi, Jim, Jim Belushi's part in Curly Sue, but he was mm-hmm. making What About Bob. Uh, they wanted him for the lead in Arthur. Uh, they wanted him for Ted Stryker in Airplane. I've heard this from multiple sources. They wanted him for Ted Stryker. <laughs> they wanted him for Do- Detective John Kimball for Kindergarten Cop, but that went to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, Which actually, honestly, mm-hmm. as much as I love Bill Murray, like, and all of them that we've gone down so far, mm-hmm. it would have been a, such a different film with him in there. And I'm not going to yeah, go so yeah. far as to say it wouldn't have been as good. Yeah, but it would have been those are Those are good films for the most mm-hmm. part. Yeah. And that would have changed the character mm-hmm. deeply. Uh, he turned on the lead role in Big to do Scrooged. Uh, Could you imagine that without Tom Hanks? All right, no, I couldn't either. Uh, he was supposed to star Chevy, opposite Chevy Chase in uh, the Fabulous Baker Boys. It wasn't supposed to be Bo and Joe Bo and Jeff Bridges. Him and Chevy Chase would. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, he was considered for Steve Martin's part in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Uh, he was supposed to be again, the, again. Yeah, yeah, I know. He was supposed to be the part of Pat Healy in something about Mary, but they went with Matt Dillon instead. Uh, yeah, yeah, they wanted him. They actually wanted him. Actually, he was Stephen King's Stephen King's first choice for Johnny Smith in the Dead Zone. Oh, okay. Yeah, 
Uh, he, they would consider him for Michael Douglas's part in Fatal Attraction. They considered him for multiple Michael Keaton movies. Uh, Gung Ho. Uh, Gung Ho. Actually, actually, I'm getting to that. Gung Ho, Beetlejuice, and the paper, and the paper specifically. He uh, actually, he would have been an interesting Beetlejuice. Yeah, he would have. Although that, for me, is Michael Keaton's best. Mm-hmm. And I liked him in Multiplicity. Mm-hmm. I even like him coming back with Birdman. It's not yeah. bad, but... And that one is Michael Keaton's favorite, too, Beetlejuice. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, they wanted him for Mahoney in Police Academy. Yeah, they wanted him. They wanted him as Larry Flint in The People versus Larry Flint. Of course, it went to Larry, uh, uh, Woody Harrelson, Bill Murray fan. That, that would have been. That would have been weird. Yeah, they wanted him for Tom Selleck's part in Three Men and a Baby. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they wanted him for the part of Jack Horner in Boogie Nights, but of course, they went to Burt Reynolds. Uh, yeah, that would have been weird. Yeah, they wanted him for a bunch of uh, Tom Hanks movies too: Splash, Turner yeah. and Hooch, and Forrest Gump. Out of all of them, Forrest Gump would have been the weirdest. Yes, it would have been. Turner and Hooch, well, that, that's perfect. That would have yeah, worked. Yeah. And also, uh, since you mentioned Batman, they wanted him for the 89 Batman movie when he was still considering making it campy, yeah. like the 60 TV show. So they wanted Bill Murray for that. From Adam West to Bill Murray. Murray. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if there's anything else here of a significance. They wanted him for Buzz Lightyear in Toy Story. Yeah. Uh, they, he tested for Sully in Monster Seat, but he, again, the fucking... The whole uh, can get to him in time for the contract thing. So of course it went to John Goodman. Um, they want him from. Uh, they want him for the lead role in Cocktail. Mm-hmm. And like I said, uh, we talked about this before. They wanted him for Eddie Valiant and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, but neither Robert Zemeckis or Steven Spielberg could get in contact with him in time. He has stated, uh, in Bill Murray himself has stated in the interview that um, he was at a public pace, but he screamed at the top of his lungs. Uh, but he like he's, when he found out he didn't get it because he definitely wanted that role. Uh, and what else? Another good one. Um, they wanted him for John Keating in Dead Poor Society. Went to Robin Williams. They wanted him for Awakenings. That part went to Robert De Niro. Uh, they wanted him for uh, Harry and My Girl, but that, of course that went to his co-star Dan Aykroyd. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted him for two Jack Nicholson movies, uh, Pre uh, Preezy's Honor. And which is the Eastwick, mm-hmm. and the last one they wanted him for Charles Grodin's part in Beethoven. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just talking about what a massive like pop culture icon he is. Mm-hmm. There's there's even an album by uh, an underground hip hop group out of Canada yeah. called the uh, Sweatshop Union. Yeah, the album's called Bill Murray, and the title song for the track is it's basically about what a badass Bill, Bill Murray, Murray is. They play it in the documentary I told you it's, about. It's a great song, and mm. he's, I mean, like I said, the great and powerful Bill Murray. The great and powerful Bill Murray, yep. Now let's get into some of his movies. Now the first one I'm getting to... Now I'm just going to say this yeah. before we do our deep dive. Yeah. Guessing that this is anywhere along the lines of what our deep dives usually look like. Yeah. I'm going to warn everyone right now, we may end up rolling into a two-parter. No, actually, I'm, I'm going to keep this as short okay. as possible. All right. Uh, Look, I'm good to go for a two-parter. I'm just throwing that out. The there. reason I'm keeping this short is because of the fact that all of these movies that we picked are worth a deep dive all on their own. Okay, I'm, fair I'm, enough. I'm, I'm going to focus enough. mainly on the Murray-centric facts okay. for each of these particular movies. I'm good to go. Because I want to do a watch-along for each of these motherfuckers because all of these oh, are great 100%. movies. Now, what we did was the same thing we did last time for the Bruce Willis uh, uh deep dive that we did we basically did a top 10 amongst ourselves and we picked out our top five of the intersecting movies from our top 10 the choices we picked were stripes mm-hmm. caddyshack ghostbusters uh what about bob and groundhog day mm-hmm. so first one we're going to go into stripes 
Mm-hmm. Now, now according to now, like Cheech I said, and Chong, join the army. Yeah, that's the initial pitch of it. I'm not really gonna go into the whole production and making of stripes. We're gonna just, stick with Bill. Just the Bill stuff. Now, initially, uh, Bill Murray and Sean Young did not get along during the whole uh, <laughs> shooting of Stripes, and she's actually refused to ever work with him again. Well, yeah. can't get along with everybody. Can't get along with, but that's kind of like almost a kind of weird thing for Sean Young because a lot of she's saying about a lot of people. But you get to you get to wonder whether it's her or them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But uh, also, uh, most of the cast improvised virtually all the dialogue when they did the sit around. They were in the bunk in the barracks talking about you know, all the stuff they did together. All of that stuff was improvised. Well, and in fact, speaking about the improvisation, yeah. um, that's actually how Ramis came to be in the in the uh, film. Mm-hmm. Bill Murray insisted to Ivan Reitman that he cast. Uh, Harold Ramis as his friend mm-hmm. for two reasons. One, mm-hmm. they were in real life; they were lifelong friends. Right. Well, however lifelong, you know, yeah. afterwards. Anyway. Yeah. And then uh, the second one is Harold's a writer, always was a writer, and he wanted him to be there to help him rewrite and also do the improvisation. That's right. Like going back to the uh, bunkers, the uh, whole. And that's uh, that's uh, that yeah. thing we're talking about before yeah. with scene partners, right? Yeah, yeah. They trust each other. They know, yeah. and they can just go. The whole barrack scene where they hold, doing the whole thing about Lee Harvey. You were a madman <laughs> when you were the cow and your friend tried to get it with the cow. I want to party with you, homeboy. <laughs> the whole thing is improvised. And then the whole thing about calling Sergeant Hulk up Big Toe. <laughs> it's like a foot without a big toe. And Sergeant Hulk ain't going to be around there all the time. So why don't we give a big round of applause for our newest, bestest buddy <laughs> and Big Toe, Sergeant Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> the other part, though, that I love from that is John Candy's improv. Oh, yeah. I swallowed a lot of aggression, along with a lot of pizza. <laughs> pizza. <laughs> it's such a silly shit. So I go to this doctor. He tells me I got I to gotta lose all this weight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he tells me I should go to one of these programs. So right. I look up this program. Asked. They're, 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 they're expensive. You know, yeah. I'm talking, I'm talking, you know, 600 bucks. Yeah, it's like, uh, well, I thought to myself, join, join the, the army. army. It's free. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, we got a real tough program here. Was it? It's a six-week program, yeah, yeah, which is perfect for me. <laughs> I'm gonna walk out of here a lean, lean mean, fighting, fighting machine. machine. <laughs> Dude, we're doing a watch along for straight. Dude, we're definitely doing. Anyway, yeah. Okay, so Bill apparently agreed to do the movie two weeks before Bill before uh, shooting was supposed to start. He actually didn't show up to the third day of shooting because he's actually attending uh, Cubby's games. And also, uh, according to Ivan Reitman, the scene where he's like uh, loading the lady's uh, luggage into yeah. the cab. Hits himself in the balls. And, and that was legit. He actually hit himself in the balls. And the whole thing about, oh, my balls, my balls. <laughs> that was real. That was real. They just happened to get it on camera. <laughs> now, you know, he, he actually did do two weeks of boot camp for this. Yeah. So they got up at 5 o'clock. They were actually training with some, some real soldiers and stuff. And the really kind of funny thing without getting too deep into stripes, mm-hmm. apparently at the time, and again, you know, we got the Cold War going on, but there's not a lot of shooting or anything happening because this is, you know, 80s. Mm-hmm. The U.S. Army actually kind of dug it, and so they helped him out. They actually let him shoot some of the stuff over at Fort Knox. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, again, one last note going into stripes before we stick on Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. After the movie came out, they saw a 10% uptick in people joining the Army. Nice. I think the only other movie I can remember of people, like, filming specifically over Fort Knox was Goldfinger. Yep. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's cool. And also in 93, Bill had a little uh, speech about, well, more or less he gave an interview about the whole experience of tri- Stripes. 
He said, I still, I'm still a little queasy about that, the fact that I actually made a movie where I carry a machine gun. But I felt if you're rescuing your friends, it was okay. It wasn't reds or anything, but it captured what it was to be on an army base. It was cold. You had to wear the same green clothes. You do a lot of physical stuff. You're treated badly, and you had bad coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much covers it. That's the military. And then also the one little line at the end, in the beginning where he's doing the push-ups, him and Harold Ramis, and then like uh, he stops and says like uh, I gotta I need to get in shape or I'll be dead before I'm thirty. Coincidentally, Bill Murray had just turned thirty two months before he actually did this movie. <laughs> he's thirty years old when he made this movie. Yeah, he looks at least forty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Some actors look. Some actors just look mm-hmm. mature before their time. Plus, I just love that whole scene in the apartment with him and Harold because it's just so great. And then, like, oh, yeah. how they uh, start out, he's doing the basketball thing. He just throws the basketball out the window. <laughs> Good shot, man. And he, hey, hey, yeah, hold on a sec. <laughs> the glass. And like, what, how was your day? Oh, well, I had an interesting day. In the last two hours, I've lost my job, my car, my apartment, and my girlfriend. It's like you still got your health. Screw that. And he, yeah, he goes out the <laughs> goes out the window. Like yeah, and he he's like yeah. Why don't you throw the ball back, man? Throw the ball back. Bah, and he busts out another window. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> just just so chaotic. I love it's it. It's great. Uh, you got any more things for stripes? Um, I mean, again, we, we kind of covered the broad things without getting too deep into it. Uh, as far as um, everything goes with with Harold and, and Murray. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the crazy thing is Sergeant Hulka was really the only actor, mm. aside from John Larroquette, yeah. that really had any kind of chops, any background. There's actually, again, there's a lot of good stuff with John Larroquette, a lot of other stuff we can get into. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it's it's really amazing when you sit back and watch it to see Murray and Reitman um, holding, or sorry, Ramis, rather, holding their own. Yeah. And literally carrying the whole film. And really, if you look at it in the chronology of Bill Murray, yeah. that's his first real film. I mean, he'd done Meatballs, yeah. but this is the first feature film with him as the marquee name. That's right. That's true. And then I love the whole thing with Harold Ramis. Like I said, I, I tell people, Harold Ramis is so underrated as a comedic actor. Oh. He has so many great lines in that movie, particularly when they're doing the whole thing about the, uh, when they're doing the barrack scene. Again, since mm-hmm. we're going back to the barrack scene, where Harold Ramis is like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I've always been sort of a pessimist. My dad always told me never pa- hit. Pacifist. No, huh? I think he said pessimist. No, pacifist. He said pacifist. Okay. Yeah, he said well, pacifist. Okay. My father always told me never hit a man in anger unless you're absolutely sure you can get away with it. <laughs> and I want you guys to know if we ever, ever get into any real heavy duty combat, I'll be right behind you guys, every, every step, step of the boy. way. <laughs> Not beside, behind. They're like, so a lot of people don't catch that. Like behind you guys. And then the whole thing where, like, uh, he's in the bed, he's, like, having a dream. Like, oh, don't stop. Don't stop. Uh, yeah, I still respect you. I respect you even more. <laughs> well, the, one of the other favorite ones is the whole scene in the recruiter's office. Oh, The two of them going God. back and forth with the recruiter like, as so, he's asking them all the questions. Yeah, yeah, he's going to that. Like, so, uh, uh, have any of you ever been convicted of any major crimes? Convicted, right? No, no, never, never convicted. Never convicted. No, no. <laughs> now, either of you guys homosexuals. You mean like flaming or uh, just a standard question? No, we're not homosexual, but we are willing to learn. Would they send us somewhere nice? Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking funny. I love what they're walking. Like, if you get me killed, my blood is on your hands. Just don't get on my shoes, okay? 
<laughs> I mean, the ping pong goes to have. Yes. I love oh this shit. All right, so that's all I got for stripes. Now, let's go ahead and get to the next one. Another favorite of ours, Caddyshack. Hold on, let me catch up. Get, get the Caddyshack. Get, get the Caddyshack, man. Get the Caddyshack, man. I can't prepare for some yeah. deeper dive, but well, I, while I agree. You, while you're getting ready, I, 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 while you're doing Let's that, I just, I'll just do a little bit of a uh, background of Caddyshack. Now, Caddyshack was actually written by Bill's brother, Brian Doyle Murray, who's actually in the movie. He's the head guy of the Caddies. Uh, he's actually It basically comes from their memories of working as caddies for a golf club when they were kids. Both Bill and Harold Ramis also worked as caddies when they were teenagers, too. And like I said, they pretty much just consolidated all their memories together, and they made this movie. Now, initially, the caddies themselves, the kids, were the focal point of the movie. But then when they started getting all these big names, like Chevy Chase, Bill Better Murray. Like a switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield, Ted Knight, oh, and all those Rodney. guys. Yeah, they switched the focus to these adults. We're going to do a deep dive on this one for sure. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Now, uh, Danny's family in the movie, we see the opening scene where it's like like they're in the house, it's like a crowded house and like kids everywhere. They based it on their real family. That's what their real family was like. Which, again, for, you know, Irish Catholic family, Mm -hmm. yeah, pretty much right. And there actually is a whole line about uh, Danny working at the lumber yard because his dad was a lumber, you know, their, their, mm-hmm. their dad was a lumber salesman. Well, he's not going to work at the lumber yard. Well, he isn't going to be a caddy all his life, is he? <laughs> yeah. And then also the character that Bill plays, Carl Spackler, was originally supposed to be a silent character, but then when they got Bill, uh, Harold Ramis decided to let Bill do his thing and improvise. Yep. So, well, uh, and, yeah. and kind of the funny thing about this one specifically for Ramis, just for a quick aside, mm-hmm. this was his first movie. As a director, yeah. Yeah, and what was crazy was, and there, he even talks about when he's trying to describe how green he was, he showed up, he's working with this great cinematographer, this specific cinematographer, one of his especially was working with new filmmakers. Yeah. So they just got, they've been there, they've been setting up uh, about an hour or two, he comes over and he starts talking with the cinematographer, mm-hmm. they're talking about where they're going to frame the shot. Mm-hmm. And so... The, the cinematographer's pretty much got everything set up mm-hmm. and Harold's talking like, well what if we what if we set it like this and he's pointing in this whole direction and everything and the direction would have caught a huge chunk of base camp uh, and all that other stuff and mm-hmm. again talking about a fantastic cinematographer we mm-hmm. always go to movie making as a team sport mm-hmm. he, he didn't t- didn't say no he didn't start anything with him he just said well we could do that um, but if we do it you see how on this side and all this stuff we're going to have to move everybody over to the other side mm-hmm. to which point Harold famously said I think we're going to do it how you have it set right over there. <laughs> and also another thing, uh, since we're talking about Harold, uh, it actually taught him how to deal with actors, especially seasoned actors, because in this particular movie, he had Ted Knight, who was a longtime seasoned actor, and at one point, who was the yeah. announcer for the Super Friends. Yep. Yeah. And of course, he's most famous at that point for being on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Um, but uh, well, and he literally, I mean, for, for Harold Ramis, and again, mm-hmm. I know we're, it's the Murray show, but we got to mm-hmm. talk about him a little bit. Yeah. He got the best of both worlds, or rather the two extremes, because he's working with him. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. you also have Rodney Dangerfield. It was literally his first film ever. Yeah. And again, another Harold Ramis story mm-hmm. from that was the very first scene they're doing oh, out yeah, on the green. Yeah, yeah. Rodney's out there, and he's doing his shtick, and nobody's laughing. Nobody's doing or saying anything. And, and Rodney kind of goes, oh, what's the word, Mickey Mouse, right? He goes static. He stops. Harold, Harold stops everything, comes over, and he says, hey, what, what's going on, Rodney? What's up? And he says, man, I'm dying. I'm just dying up here. Like, no, nobody's laughing. Nobody's laughing. He says, yeah. if they laugh, it ruins the take. Yeah. Come on, let's keep going. Steps back. They do whatever. Finishes the bit. He says, cut. Yeah. And the crew and everyone busts up laughing. He said, from that point on. He got, he got what it was. Exactly. In fact, when he said action, it yeah. was this, this green. 
Ronnie goes, you want me to do the bit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want me to do the Yeah, yes, that's what action means, Rodney. Yes, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, going back to the Harold, him and Ted Knight, actually. The thing about it is, he was roughhousing with Ted Knight and messed up Ted Knight's famous hair. Yeah. And Ted did not like that. He blew a fucking gasket and, like, let Harold know, like, I'm a professional. I'm this and, like, you do not mess with my hair and all this other shit. And he knew from then on, like, you know, kid gloves with certain mm. people. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, I mean, that's always a good note mm-hmm. on a directorial or producerial standpoint. Yeah. And also Until they, you yeah, know yeah. somebody, know, yeah. know, know them. Yeah. Take it easy. And also, going back to strikes very quickly, Harold Rain, I mean, Ivan Reitman, also a very young director at that mm-hmm. point. Uh, same thing, he had another yeah. one of those experiences, but with Warren Oates. Yeah. So there was one particular scene where they're doing like a boot camp scene, and they decided to have the uh, actors push Warren into the mud. They didn't tell Warren. Yep. And Warren blew his shit. Well, he, he chipped a tooth. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He chipped, he a, chipped tooth. a tooth, and that's yeah. when he blew his shit. And then he yeah. explained to him, he's like, look, man. I'm a seasoned professional. Yeah. If you want you, me, if you yeah. want me to hit the, the mud, I can do it and I can make it look good. Yeah. But you got to tell me what's happening. You can't yeah. be blindsided me yeah. with this. And everybody was scared shitless except Bill Murray. In fact, like everybody was intimidated by Warren Oates except Bill Murray. In fact, a fan of the people Which actually yeah, translates yeah, yeah, perfectly in the yeah, film because yeah. the only person who's not afraid of him is, is Bill, John Winger. Bill Murray, yeah. Right? And then apparently they like uh, of the people like Bill was the main one that Warren Oates would hang out with and they would go drinking and shit like that and mm-hmm. they were they were good friends on the set. So going back to Caddyshack though, now the character of Carl was actually based on the character that Bill had been doing in the second city for years, the honker, where he's got his mouth all twisted and so, yeah, yeah, do like this, you know, saying like all the different <laughs> weird stuff. Now funny enough, that character actually comes back in another one of our movies we'll talk about. We can get to that a little bit later, though. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, also, uh, at the time, Bill was also working on on Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live. So uh, they didn't, actually didn't intend for him to have such a large part. So Bill would constantly have to go from New York to wherever they were filming. I think they were like in Florida, uh, and he would constantly have to make that commute. Uh, also, Bill filmed all of his scenes overall, including the scene with Chevy Chase, in a total of six days. Yep. Yep. Now. Um, Many actually were expecting another confrontation between well, Bill and Chevy because of the fight. Well, so we have to actually yeah. back it up. So originally yeah. when they set this up, yeah, 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 there was no interaction between the two of them. You yeah. just had this kind of crazy, funny groundskeeper character who's out there is constantly trying to chase after these groundhogs. It's not really working out. Then you have everything that's going on with Chevy Chase's character. Yeah, this, he's, this, this he's the young the, rogue, you know, exactly, yeah. who, who's somehow going to essentially be the apologist for why we need Rodney Dangerfield in here to kind of break up the stuff in his blah, 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 blah. Yeah. At a certain point, the producers sat down and they realized literally at this point, because again, you got to remember, yeah. Rodney Dangerfield is known if you watch uh, The Tonight Show. Yes. He's hosted for for Johnny when Johnny was out. He was one of the guys who gets called over to the couch all the time. Frequently. So he's very well known as a stand-up. Yeah. But this is his first film. He's never done anything like yeah. that. Yeah. So they're sitting here saying, okay, our two biggest feature film players, Bill Murray and Chevy Chase, they, they don't, don't have, have a, a scene, scene together. together. Nope. And it's because of that known bad blood that was going on. Mm-hmm. So they actually sat down. If I remember my chronology right, there was a, a little bit of a hurricane that hit them down there in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I believe that was, if I'm not mistaken, when they wrote a scene. Mm-hmm. 
where you've got Chevy Chase playing night golf to have an interaction just so that they can essentially check it off. And again, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. everybody's scared shitless Mm -hmm. that there's going to be a blow-up. But they were professional, and they improvised well together. Like they Fantastic. The, the, yeah, they need to hold the, you know, uh, I got a pool. Like, uh, you got a pool over your place? I got a pool and a pond. Pond would be good for you. I got, a, got a pool and a pond. Pond yeah. be good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Natural spring. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we got some, uh, some uh, Bedford Vents and uh, another California Centimia. <laughs> About the Bedford Glass. It's a mix of Kentucky Bluegrass, uh, Bedford Vents. And uh, another California sense of me. And also, you can take a bag of me and just get high to the bejesus belt. And he has this giant, <laughs> look at this, I got this, fat, giant I got this uh, big Bob Marley joke, you know what I'm saying? You take a drag of that. And then you take a drag and it's like coughing, like, it's a little harsh. <laughs> he takes it, get it, gives, well, him, but, gives so, him the malt liquor. Yeah, 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 cannibal, 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 cannibal. <laughs> and he's talking about taking out the fucking judge. It smells. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, you got a problem with smells? I, t- I take out his, Achille, like his Achilles tendon. Like, uh, he'll never, no, I take out his. Uh, yeah, uh, slice his Achilles tendon. He'll, he'll never, play, never play golf again. Because he, 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 when he swings, he goes like this. And he, he throws out his he displacement. Can't, he can't, can't put any weight. He'll never, <laughs> he'll never follow through or anything. He'll quit the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, actually, the best part in this film is yeah. your introduction is to Bill Murray yeah, is, is him cleaning balls in the most masturbatory way possible. Because it looks like he's staring at because he has some his hand, yeah. old ladies bending over. Because he has because it, it has his hand going up and down, but he's like covered so, by a bush. It is so gross yeah. and yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah baby, you trip. Oh yeah, it's good. That's a good one. Yeah, look at you, you, you little monkey woman, aren't you? you little monkey woman, aren't you? You lean and you mean. Ain't not that far between, are you, baby? No, won't wrap those spikes around well, my head. And then his interactions with the caddies. No, the one where he's got he's got the pitchfork that's just about stabbing the Back, kid in the I, neck. I'm gonna get to that actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, like, I, I like the whole thing with him and the uh, Scottish groundskeeper. Like, I want you to kill every golfer on the course. Excuse me if I'm wrong here, but if I kill all the golfers, they're gonna lock me up throw away the key. Right? Golfers, you're knit. Golfers, the little furry creatures. <laughs> We can do that. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we don't need a reason to do that. All right, how about we do the same thing just with gophers? And he just goes all pissed <laughs> off. And, he's like, and he grabs his and he's like, it's not my fault. I can't understand what you're saying. <laughs> but going to this part you're talking about, the kid who's, whose name was uh, Peter Burkhoff, Burkrod or whatever, the, uh, he was actually scared because Bill had this damn pitchfork directly to his neck. And he was, it was sharp and it was real. And he was like, he was afraid that Bill was actually going to do something. He's just kind of leaning slightly forward with it, so it's just kind of like fresh up against him while he's telling this ridiculous story about Daddy and, and every time, the Dalai Lama. And every time he's making a jolt, like the thing goes closer <laughs> to his neck. And so like, yeah, big hitter, Lama, you know. And like he tries to stiff me. He's like, hey, Lama. Yeah, like, I'm about to for the Well, I'm not going to give you money, but when you die on your deathbed, you receive... Total consciousness. So I got that going for me, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> so great, man. And then the interaction with him and that stupid puppet gopher. Oh my for god! For the whole thing, he's chasing it around, and it's it's honestly it's like mm-hmm. a damn like Looney Tune. Yeah, but the, the whole thing like he was in the uh, in the uh, little War of Groundskeeper thing he was in, like loaning his like gun shit, <laughs> like just to kill our gophers. But the government of the United Nations, man, free to kill gophers as well. Like, uh, a man should always know his enemy, and in this case, my enemy is a varmint. And a varmint would never quit. Ever. They like the Viet Cong. <laughs> Viet Cong. So, how do you counter that? You counter it with superior firepower and superior intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that's all she wrote. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but like going back Which to that, yeah. Ultimately yeah. goes. Yeah. Again, are yeah. you are you getting close to the end? Because I don't want to throw right, it right for you. All right, so which ultimately goes to blowing up the 18th green or the 18th hole rather on the damn golf course. Dude. And just as a behind the scenes, what's going on? Yeah. Talking about why you probably don't want to let anyone from Hollywood use your property to do anything. <laughs> they didn't tell. The producers not only didn't tell the owners <laughs> of the golf tell. course that this was going to happen, oh my but God. the morning it was going to happen, yeah. they organized and planned to take the owners of the course to like a breakfast or a lunch so they were nowhere near the golf course when they blew it up and then when they got back and if, again if you've seen it like the whole, whole giant hole is just giant blown holes. to shit giant holes man. I mean they, they used some fun firepower on it oh my god they got back and they said sorry <laughs> <laughs> oh, did we forget to tell you? Yeah, and I love the part where he's about to blow it up. He starts singing the Ballad of the Green Beret. <laughs> Silver wings upon oh, their chest. <laughs> These are men, America's best. <laughs> but uh, in terms of the overall performance, uh, Bill as Carl Spackler was actually voted by Premier Magazine as one of the 100 greatest characters of all time. He came in in number 18, actually. And I mean, well, when we do the deep dive, there's some other stuff. I mean, there's a they've literally done documentaries about the making of this film because it's yeah. so big, so they have, heavy. They have a book so on it. So much too. happened. Yeah. Um, and, and probably the saddest thing, just as you know, one of the the producers prior to its release, you know, uh, uh, was feeling super depressed and figured uh, it was because yeah, they, they yeah. got kind of a negative response initially from the critics. Yeah, right. Um, ended up uh, killing himself in Hawaii. Doug Kenny. Just before it came yeah. out and became a box office giant. Yeah. And there's a whole, and again, if you never haven't checked out A Feudal and the Stupid Gesture on Netflix, there's Absolutely. a whole documentary movie on it. It's great. Yeah. That's Will Forte as Doug Kenny. Check it out, man. Yeah. Now, the next movie we're going to get into, if while you get your papers together, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters. All right. This is another one that's worthy of goddamn. That's a two-parter right there, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters, man. We'll we'll watch a long one, but there's still so many more facts about this movie that I love so much. This is one of those childhood movies where it's like, I don't care how many times I've seen it, it still gets me. Mm-hmm. I love that movie so much, man. It's still so funny. It's still so great, and it gets even better as you, especially if you become an actor and you see how much of that shit is improvised. And like, mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, like. And just the just the whole weirdness of Dan Aykroyd's dialogue. That's all. <laughs> like most of that shit is mainly Dan Aykroyd, man. Just going, oh, yeah. just being Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> and like I said, we talk, it takes and, you back to the basomatic. Yeah, and then we talked about SNL. and we talked about his whole get down when he did the Joe Rogan experience. Yeah. How much he talked about that shit. Like yeah, he was yeah, like Joe Rogan kind of like downplayed the blade. Like, he was for real. Mm-hmm. Dan Aykroyd was for real. About Look, he, shit. he believe he believes for real in ghosts and his, aliens. And his family has believed in it for generations. So yeah, don't uh, yeah, this this is a legit subject for him. Uh, now going to the role of uh, Peter Vankman, that was originally meant for John Belushi, the late John Belushi. It was written with Belushi in mind, but of course Belushi passed away, and uh, they they actually considered other people, but top of the list was Bill. Do you know what they almost called it? Ghosts. Oh, ghost Breakers or something like that? Ghost Smashers. Ghost Breakers, Ghost Smashers. Some, yeah, Who some are you going to call? Ghost, ghost Smashers. smashers. <laughs> it doesn't have a... Oh, Ghost Breakers. It doesn't really have the same... Neither one, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have the same oomph. But of uh, course, once they got Bill... Shit. Back yeah. like we were talking about before... Yeah. yeah. Majority of his lines, if not all of them, were yeah. ad Now, going to that, Bill's first day on the shoot 
was during the famous montage. When you see the one scene where you see the three Ghostbusters running down the street in New York in full proton packs and in full uniform, that was Bill's first day on shoot. They literally had just picked him up from JFK, uh, got him in a goddamn suit, put a proton pack on his back, and told him to run, run him over here. And uh, when Harold, uh, when, sorry, when Ivan Reitman, the director of the movie, saw that scene and saw those three running in him in those costumes, he said he got a shiver through his damn body because he's like, this is something I've never seen before, but at the same time, he's like, this is something special. I don't know it's what good. this is, but this is special. I don't know what it is. And another another uh, instance where they knew the movie was a hit was during the famous, uh, when they go to the hotel about to go in there and then there's the earthquake and the crowd is there and they come out. And you mean then, when they blow up the the, um, the downstairs dining room hall or whatever? No, when, uh, when the street erupts and all that shit. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. When, when, uh, okay. Yeah, when the street, yeah, when the street erupts and uh, that crowd starts chanting, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters. And then one of the producers is like, hey, Get that fucking name now. And like, <laughs> you, you listen to this and you Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters. Get that name now, dude. <laughs> Call the lawyers, file the papers. Do what you gotta do. Get that name. <laughs> now, uh, in the middle of the film's initial release, they actually released a real 1 800 number. Like when they, did, when they had the commercial in the movie, yeah. uh, they actually have a 1 800 number um, uh, where they actually, people could actually call in. And say, uh, see if they actually come talk to the Ghostbusters. They would actually get a voice message, and it would be usually either be Dan or Bill saying, "Hey, uh, we're out catching ghosts or some shit like that." They would actually, they were actually getting one thousand calls per hour, twenty four hours a day for six weeks straight. That is a that is a brilliant piece of marketing. Yep, I'm gonna give it to the, the back office. I know you guys killed it. That's right. And also, um, most of uh, Bill's lines, of course, were ad libs, including the w- one of the more famous ones. This chick is toast. Ad libbed. <laughs> yeah. And also during the rehearsal, when they were doing the whole thing with uh, Goza, that creature's born. Mm-hmm. It, it, Goza was making the speech. Yeah. Choose when she when they do the choose and perish. The actual uh, actress who plays Gozer did it herself on stage, but her thick Slavic accent and made it come out uh, sounding like Jews and berries. <laughs> yeah, so, that's kind so, of a problem. So Bill would fuck with her during the rehearsal, like there's no Jews and berries here. <laughs> <laughs> One more and, reason to love Bill Murray. Yeah. And also, since we talked about the honker uh, for Caddyshack just previously, uh, they actually have a deleted scene where it's Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray playing two homeless dudes in Central Park as Lewis is being chased by the terror dog, and they're doing the honker. Bill is doing the uh, the, the pretty much the call Spackler character again, the honker. But they're watching the freaking uh, terror doll pass by, and they're trying to him and Dan are discussing what kind of animal it is. <laughs> I would say it's some sort of schnauzer. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of what kind of dog the terror dog is? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and also uh, Bill actually agreed to do the movie. Oh, uh, this is actually a very important thing in terms of the career of Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill agreed to do Ghostbusters only if Columbia would finance uh, a remake of The Razor's Edge that he wanted to star in. Uh, they actually did it. It was made. It was released the same year as Ghostbusters, and it tanked. Now, after the failure of The Razor's Edge, Bill actually went on a sabbatical from acting for four years. He actually went to France and learned philosophy and history at the Sorbonne University. Uh, he frequented the Cinema Tech in Paris, and he spent a lot of time with his family in uh, his uh, Hudson Valley home. 
Well, at that point, he had enough money. He can do what you want. Exactly. And also, with an exception of the one cameo appearance that he made in The Little Shop of Horrors, the mm-hmm. musical, he made no movies during that period. Four years. So. Well, I mean, look, it, it makes sense if it's disappointing because, you know, this is one of the things that you mm-hmm. see a lot with a lot of actors. They'll agree to do the commercial, whatever it is, mm-hmm. for a passion project. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes mm-hmm. you make Schumacher's Batman and then you go make um, Good Night and Good Luck. And you do well on both sides. Sometimes it's Razor's Edge, and yeah. it just doesn't get there. True. For whatever reason, the audience yeah. isn't there. The marketing was crap. Mm-hmm. Maybe the movie just wasn't as good as you'd hoped. Yeah. And also, the uh, during that particular break, the uh, popularity of Ghostbusters, the movie, led to the development of the real Ghostbusters cartoon, which we talked about just a little bit ago, mm-hmm. with Lorenzo Music voice in the uh, character of Peter Vankman. Now, when they did the initial like little pilot, well, almost like a little test of what the show would look like the initial design of Peter Vankman looked almost exactly like Bill Murray but for some reason they changed up the look and he they gave him kind of like a skinny slim kind of pretty boy kind of look something so, closer to like Dan Aykroyd and uh, Blues Brothers yeah like, and then like way still, more gaunt still had the uh, Bill Murray voice but yeah he's pretty much more of a pretty narrow boy. face very narrow face yeah and also during the filming of the movie uh, after the popularity of it Bill and Dan Aykroyd actually went to several children's hospitals uh, dressed as the Ghostbusters for kids so that was really sweet of This was also uh, Larry King's film debut. Oh, yeah, that's right. During the, <laughs> during the montage. Yep. And I remember his whole thing. Uh, I'll call in top of tonight. Ghosts and Ghostbusting. The debate continues whether these professional paranormal eliminators in New York are the cause of all this. <laughs> and it's like he's actually a little more. He's looking at Larry King and that shit. He's actually a little more robust than you see him now. Yeah. So, yeah. So. Way more. <laughs> it has a cigarette in his hand. So there's that. Uh, you have anything else on Ghostbusters? I got a lot more, but nothing Bill Murray centric. Okay, gotcha. So we'll save it for that for the next one. Okay, next one on the list: Groundhog Day. So oh, if you yeah, get, yeah. get the Groundhog I got, Day. I got Groundhog ready to rock and roll. That's what's up. Cool. Now the first Murray centric fact I got is that the fact he was actually bitten by that Groundhog twice <laughs> on the set. Yes, uh, he was. He actually it got, actually got to the point where they actually had to get him some anti rabies injections. Which I think that was like the old school method where they would give you like eight injections in the belly. Yeah, well, they I think they still do it in the belly, don't they? But yeah, that's I don't a, know, I've never had to have them. Yeah, God. but that's a painful process to go through, and of course, it didn't really help his attitude during that time frame. Well, and I mean, it, it's kind of nice though because uh, his attitude towards Punxsutawney Phil when they're out driving around in some of those scenes, mm-hmm. that's not acting. He really hated that damn grand, groundhog. Actually, funny enough, you can see the scene where right before it bite, where, right before it bites him when he's doing the whole "Don't drive angry, don't drive angry" is right before that. It's right after that that the thing bit him. Um, the scene where he actually picks up the alarm clock and smashes it, uh, he didn't. It actually didn't go as planned. Like you see it in the movie, and it looks like from a certain perspective he destroyed it, but it actually didn't completely destroy. It. They actually had to smash the damn thing with a hammer. Yeah. And the whole thing we see is the song is still playing. Like that was real. Yeah. So yeah, they just left that shit in. Uh, and also during the uh, kidnapping. Oh, yeah, I talked about that. The same thing. Um, oh yeah, um, both um, Bill Murray and Harold Ramis have been named honorary Grand Marshals at the Groundhog Day celebration in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. I once saw somebody post something brilliant. They said they should re-release Groundhog's Day as though it were a new film <laughs> instead of doing a remake. Actually, I think uh, Andy Samberg recently just did a movie that's kind of like Groundhog Day, but it's like supposed to be like in like Palm Springs or some shit like that. 
It's something like that, yeah. Uh, uh, I heard a lot of people comparing it to Groundhog Day. I know, I know. I got you, I got you. I got you. <laughs> okay, so uh, right before the whole get down where... Uh, <laughs> so I love your reaction to that. Thank you. Uh, right, the, actually, right before the last interaction between Phil and Ned Ryerson, oh, like, yeah. like when he turns good and the whole thing about he grabs Ned and starts hugging him, I missed you so much. And then that one line is like, I don't know where you're headed, but... Can you call in sick? That was improvised. <laughs> Ned is so terrifying. Look, uh, uh, I gotta uh, go. I gotta go. Uh, nice seeing you, Phil. Oh, he strokes his face. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> and also, uh, even though him and um, Harold didn't get along, which we're gonna get into a little bit later, yeah. uh, Harold actually kept Bill Murray's overcoat from this movie as sort of a souvenir. Yeah. Kept it for all those years. Well, and, and this was, I mean, like you said, we're, we're kind of leaning into it anyway, but mm-hmm. this was a a seminal film, not just in terms of filmmaking, mm-hmm. box office, all the rest of it, but it does mark a major turning point mm-hmm. for Harold Ramis and, unfortunately, for, for Bill Murray. Yeah. Uh, now, the actual falling out that they had uh, between Harold and Bill it was on Groundhog Day. According to uh, screenwriter Danny Rubin, they were like two brothers that weren't getting along. Bill was going through a divorce at the time of filming and kind of became obsessed with the film itself. And he would call Harold and Dan- and Danny during all hours of the night talking about different scenes, et cetera, et cetera. And he, it was got, it got really, really annoying. I think at one point he got to the point where he got physical where Harold Ramis actually took Bill and threw him against the wall by the shirt collar. Mm-hmm. Like he got to that point. And uh, from then on, they actually were, they had in the many years when they would talk to each other. They still did great. They still did fantastic. But, you know. Well, it, uh, the, the really kind of lasting side of it that's really sad, and again, this film warrants a deep dive for sure, yes. is that it marked the end of their collaborations. Yes, it did. Because, yes. again, if you look back at everything mm-hmm. they worked on together. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, and, yeah. And, 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 and it's, it's those moments where you don't want to, but a party just goes, what could have been. Yeah, and then they also pretty much didn't talk to each other for close to 20 years. And then right before uh, Harold passed away, I actually uh, saw this in an interview, uh, Bill was in Harold's hometown uh, doing something, and uh, somebody told him, I think he was like working at the police department or something like that, mm-hmm. and somebody told him, hey, Harold Raymond lives around here. He's like, are you serious? Oh, yeah. So, Bill, can you take me over there? So, Bill got a police escort to take him to Harold Ramis's house. And Harold, at this point, was in very poor health. He was basically on his deathbed. And Bill finally got a chance to sit there and talk with Harold, and they actually reconciled, reconciled right before Harold passed away. Which is, which is fantastic. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the one thing you got to get to when you talk about any kind of creative endeavor, especially filmmaking, yeah. it's one of those things that um, I was fortunate enough, I had a teacher really kind of drove this home to us when I was a lot younger. Mm-hmm. It's a collaborative sport. It's a team sport. Um, you're always going to be, especially if you're in a director or a writer or a producer's kind of footprint, yeah. you're always in a situation where you're kind of balancing a majority of egos, including your own. Yeah. And more so, I think, when you get to the director-actor side of things, that's a relationship that, if it maintains, yeah. it's one of the strongest in the industry. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, if it sours, it can be really hard to come back together because, like we were talking about way, way back in the day, or way back in the, the beginning portion of this, we're talking about... Um, trust, things like that, right? When it comes down to trusting your scene partner. Yeah. 
you getting out of your own way, right? Getting to that point where you're going to say, okay, I'm going to, it's not me doing this. This is the character, that sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you're still trusting the director not to make you look foolish, not to make you look bad. Because aside from the ego side of it, I'm better than that. I'm funnier than that. I'm this than that. It ultimately also goes back to your career, your ability to feed yourself, take care of your family. I mean, mm-hmm. your everything is tied up in that. And when that relationship goes sour and that trust is broken, yeah, it doesn't stay contained to mm-hmm. that picture or that project. Mm-hmm. It's it's your life. Yes, it is. Uh, a couple of the quick things about uh, Groundhog Day. Um, the idea that one scene where. Um, he actually convinces Rita to stay with him for the first time uh, during the night. And it, it pretty much changes the trajectory of that character. The idea of uh, Phil reading to Rita as she goes to sleep actually came from something that really happened on uh, Bill's wedding night, his first wedding. His wife got a little too drunk from champagne, so Bill read to her as she went to sleep. And uh, that was Bill's idea. It was great. Uh, and uh, also, what... Uh, even though the film itself was actually not filmed in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, it was actually filmed in uh, Woodstock, Illinois, about 50 miles from uh, Bill Murray's hometown. Um, it actually has affected uh, how much people love that uh, in terms of tourist trade for Woodstock, Illinois. Gobbler's uh, knob. Yeah, no, uh, but the <laughs> the plaque where Bill steps off, uh, there's a plaque where Bill steps off and does the, in the puddle thing. Mm-hmm. There's a plaque that says Bill Murray's uh, stepped here. Yeah. And there's also that whole little corner with him and Ned Ryerson. That's called Ned's Corner now. So it really affected that town. And it's really, uh, like I said, I look at, I look at Groundhog as such a dear movie. Now, in terms of, like, facts here, uh, four of the movie's cast members, Bill Murray, Chris Elliott, Brian Doyle Murray, and Robin Duke, the waitress, mm-hmm. uh, they were all former cast members of SNL. Mm-hmm. Brian Doyle Murray and Robin Duke were actually cast members together. They were, they were there during the Eddie Murphy years. And that was the one year where Bill came back and hosted so the thing, the thing I told you about him and Eddie Murphy that was during that season. Yeah. So, uh, and also uh, they uh, more or less said that uh, his performances, Phil Connors and Groundhog Day, has been again rated on, in, on Premier Magazine's 100 Greatest Characters. Uh, it was ranked in at 48. And it was added to the National Film Registry, and it was either 06 or 07. Yeah. And also uh, this past year at the Super Bowl, Bill. Ned Ryerson and Brian Doyle Murray all reprised their roles from Groundhog Day in a, in a Jeep commercial during the Super Bowl. Yeah, so it was real. And it also the same thing, filmed in Woodstock, Illinois. Mm-hmm. So it's so You're going to do it, do it right. He's right. <laughs> all right, and the uh, last of the films that we're going to go into real quick, What About Bob? Which and is, yeah. I'm going to say yeah. one of my favorites, I do know a variety of people who've worked in either therapy or mm-hmm. counseling. Mm-hmm who hates, hate this movie <laughs> because they all have a Bob in their lives. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one super, super needy... Like, An energy uh, vampire oh that God. finds them and follows them around. Like, I need you now. I need you here. I need you now. I'm having problems. Fuck what you're doing. I need you now. Yeah. Yeah, so that kind of thing. Baby step getting on the bus. Oh, my God. <laughs> he is so great in this movie, He's man. He's killer. And I love the I love the uh, dichotomy between him and uh, Dr. Richard, Leo Marvin. Richard Dreyfus. Dr. Leo Marvin. Uh, because and, of, and apparently they hated each other. Well, oh, I'm, they didn't I, get along. I, actually, I'm going to get to that in a second. But Richard just, hated Bill. Yeah, but they actually did. I love the like the switch of those two characters because hey, in the beginning, Bill's this neurotic, falling man, apart, can't falling, survive, can't, can't can't even go outside his house kind of guy. Leo Marvin is this aspiring like he well he's an established 
psychologist, but he's like aspiring to he's, be like a media star. He's, yeah, he's he's on his launching pad to mm-hmm. go to the next level yeah. to become the. This is before Doctor Phil, but to become the Doctor. Basically, Phil. yeah, he would basically become Doctor. That's Phil, what yeah. he was on his direction towards. Yeah. And yeah. the other thing, again, talking about setting the setting the table, yeah. how well they do those things. Yeah. When Richard Dreyfus is calling. His former psychiatrist, his oh, colleague, yeah, 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 yeah. and the guy's hurriedly packing his office and trying to get out. Oh, yeah. no, I just, you know, decided it's time to move on and da 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 da. Yeah. But you can tell he's really just freaking out trying to get away from Bob. Uh, we're dying, Bree, uh, Leo. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, he hangs up, he looks at the camera. Free. <laughs> <laughs> he's all yours. And, like, um, and then he calls the secretary right after that. Uh, uh, please let me know if you hear it from uh, Bob Wiley. He's called twice, sir. He's actually your next appointment. <laughs> Oh shit! That's that's persistent. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And All right. Like, I'm going on vacation. Yeah. See you so later. Bill Murray plays this mental patient named Bob Wiley, super neurotic guy who is tr- referred to this new psychiatrist, Dr. Leo Marvin, paralyzed by phobias. Yeah, yeah. Uh, played by Richard Dreyfus. Now, right as they start, you know, working together, Richard leaves for a family vacation and also for a potential shoot for Good Morning America at his place. But first, he gives him a book called Baby, Baby Steps. Steps. Yeah. And that is something that is yeah. repeated at nauseum yeah. by Bill Murray to the point where you want to punch him in the face, or at yeah. least Richard Dreyfus wants to punch yeah. him in the face. Yeah. Baby step, everything is baby step. But because of the fact he gave him baby steps, it's a breakthrough for yeah. Bob. And like he, and then they say, you know, he starts to glom on, to really glom on to Dr. Leo Marvin. Like, oh my God, we just had a breakthrough. You could work for me. You really could. But I'm leaving. You're leaving? Like, what, what if I need you? What, what, yeah, he starts tripping and shit. <laughs> and he gets to the point where he like, just starts doing all these ridiculous things just to get a hold of Leo Marvin, like tricking the, tricking the switchboard, thinking like... Well, he, he, he yeah. eventually calls and pretends to be a yeah. police officer after he, after, after he committed suicide. Yeah, who's essentially investigating his suicide and trying to find out where the doctor was in case oh I need to talk God. to him to verify, you know, what kind of a mental state he was in to make sure it was a suicide. And then he mm-hmm. shows up at his guest house. Oh, my God. Oh, no, it's not even at his guest house. He shows up in this town where his guest house is located yeah. and just starts screaming, Dr. Leo Marvin! Doctor Leo! <laughs> and he just coincidentally happens to be there. Well, the best part is, apparently, Richard Dreyfus had bought his dream home, his dream vacation home, out from under uh, a couple that had been working their whole life, kind of like a poor little family that's doing whatever. So they hate him. So mm-hmm. as a result... <laughs> They drive Bob right to Dr. Leo Marvin's front door and drop him off. And they're oh, yeah. his oh, yeah. like, there you go. The, yeah, the, gu- <laughs> the, the Guffmans or Guffmans, yeah. Like, they hate you. Yeah. Son of a bitch. She never says that. <laughs> the wife, yeah. Yeah, hey, Dr. Marvin. Burn in hell, Dr. Marvin. And you see the old the, the couple, like, they keep spying on them, like, wherever. Yeah. When the house blows up, burn, burn, burn. burn. Or when they're watching the, the Good Morning America thing where Bob essentially takes over. Yeah. Like, yeah, way to go, Bobby! Yeah, that's, and see, that's how Dr. Marvin starts to break is that slowly yeah. Bob wins over everyone. His whole family yeah. starts to fall in love with Bob. Yeah. And he's freaking out because he's going, you guys can't see what an energy vampire crazy person he is. we got to get rid of him. He needs to get away from us, this whole thing. Yeah. And then 
Dr. Marvin freaks out because his Good Morning America appearance goes from being all about him talking about he's his highly, stuff highly anticipated. to now yeah, he's highly Bob is sitting there and Bob essentially takes over and starts talking for him. And then they're leaving and everybody's talking about Bob. Didn't I see that guy on Good Morning America? He was yeah. great. <laughs> like, oh. And that's what causes his break. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so great. Now, uh, initially they wanted Eddie Murphy for Bob Wiley. That would have been interesting. That uh, would have been interesting, yeah. I think it would have been I would have watched that. that I would have watched it too. Yeah, it would have been different, but it would have been good. I would. I think Eddie would have killed it, yeah. For sure. Yeah, now, uh, the part. there's one part where uh, the wife, Faye, played by Julie Haggerty from Airplane, um, is tucking uh, Bob in. Like She holds the little blanket up, and he crawls in underneath Faye, uh, head first, and he actually cracked her up on camera. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, actually, uh, the actual diagnosis from Leo Marvin about Bob is this. A multiphobic personality characterized by acute separation anxiety and extreme need for family connections. Very true. Which, once he manages to connect with Dr. Marvin's family, mm-hmm. all of that stuff fades away and he becomes closer to the Bill Murray that we know and love and we see in all the other films. Now, since you mentioned this several times uh, for this uh, What About Bob thing, Richard Dreyfuss and Bill Murray did not get along. Nope. And actually, I got some more Which detail. makes their scene so much better. Yeah, and so I got some detailed stuff about that. Now, the uh, film's producer, uh, Laura Zeskin, actually talks about her having a disagreement with Bill Murray during that time frame, to the point where Bill actually threw her ass in a lake. <laughs> That's a different kind of a me too, right? <laughs> and, and she said in 2003, Bill also threatened to throw me across the parking lot, and he actually broke my sunglasses and threw them across the parking lot. I was furious and outraged at the time, but having produced a dozen films, I can safely say it's not common behavior. Now, Dreyfus himself said in 2019 that Bill actually screamed at him one night when he was actually drunk on set and basically told Drew Dreyfus directly, everybody hates you. You are tolerated. <laughs> And apparently he threw an ashtray at Richard Dreyfus. Okay. Yeah. I've been around this stuff long enough to know, yeah. and, and this is what I'm going to say. The vast majority of anyone, I don't care who you want to pick, the vast majority of A-list stars yeah. are a little bit crazy. Yes. And here's the thing you got to keep in mind. I had, a, I had a teacher say this a long time ago, and it's brilliant. We're talking about people who've decided for a living, and it's even more true of people who become famous younger. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, one of the things that I think you got going for you a lot better than anyone else when it breaks and when it moves, someone like Sam Jackson has going for him, Mm -hmm. you had to be a real person for a big chunk of your life before Before. you got all that other stuff. So whatever little bit of a one, two-year thing Bill Murray's talking about you might go through, Mm -hmm. when you go from being a teenager Mm -hmm. or barely 21, 22, your frontal lobe's not even fully developed to superstardom. Right. We're talking about people who decided to spend their entire life not being themselves. Yeah. So crazy comes with the territory to start with. Yeah. On top of it, sometimes you got to look at two professional, unprofessional behavior. Yeah. And when I'm talking about that, I'm not talking necessarily about the actors. Again, crazy comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. If you can find an actor who shows up and they're coming to work without an entourage, yeah. that is a very, very strong personality. They know who they are. Mm-hmm. They know what they got going on. It's nothing against people who have entourages. You know, I've, I've heard... Mixed stuff, good and bad, with, with a lot of people have entourages. We'll mm-hmm. set that aside for a second. But when yeah. you talk about professional behavior from a director, a producer, a writer, a cinematographer, mm-hmm. that's a different level that you got to be focusing on and you got to be working for. Because, for example, like to go back to, uh, what was the, was it Terminator Salvation? Was that the one with Christian Bale? Yeah. Where he had the blow up. 
Yeah. So the behind the scenes, what I was able to find out was going on with that whole thing was the cinematographer was his first film, first major feature. Right. He wants it to be perfect. Mm. Understandable. That's great. So mm. he had he had a stunt double, and I think he may have even had a, had a lighting double. So they're supposed to, and again, talking about being professional, what you're supposed to be doing in that situation is you want to have your light and everything set perfect so that when your actor comes out who's standing in the middle of fucking Hollywood mm-hmm. trying to pretend they're in a post-apocalyptic world with machines <laughs> taking over everything yeah. that they can stay in that frame of mind yeah. and if you come around you start fucking around with the lights and playing with this and putting a lighting meter yeah, in front you, of their you, face you're taking them out you're of it you're taking them out of it and again back to the insecurity the rest of it they're counting on you not to make them look bad because one bad movie at a minimum can stall their career at a maximum can ruin their career true Right, so keeping all of that in mind, you talk about from an actor or from a, a producer director side of things, if you're not functioning 100% on your own mm-hmm. professionally, you're going to run into situations where that crazy is going to come out more. And, you know, just as a, a different aside, I had a, a same teacher who was telling us this specific thing to watch for and to make sure we're doing from our standpoint behind the camera. Mm-hmm. She was doing everything she was supposed to. She tells us a story about an actress who flipped her shit on her, ripped her up one side down another, throwing stuff, freaking out the whole nine yards because she had to tell her, we don't have money in the budget to fly your husband out for a fourth time on this shoot. If you want to do it, I'll I'll schedule it for you, but you got to pay for it. Right. Totally reasonable. Yeah. But in that situation, again, we're talking in the world of crazy. You're going to run into that. So it's not to excuse Bill Murray and say that he should be taking sunglasses off someone, break them and throw them. Mm -hmm. But by the same token... It's crazy. It comes with the territory. Yes. You, you know who doesn't do that? The, the guy who's working a nine to five sure. for 30 years and retiring yeah. with a good pension and, and something for their family. Right. Two completely different worlds. Yeah. So. You just got to know what you're getting into. Like, uh, there's actually a great scene on Family Matters where they had Carl do, uh, he was like doing security for a movie shoot and they're like doing a cop movie and Carl's pretty much saying that the cop stuff was bullshit, like in a nice way, because it's family matters. Mm-hmm. But the director's like, uh, like you know what I'm doing? Yeah, like number one, you wouldn't do that, like because like, mm-hmm. like you know, it gives them real facts. And the director's like, you're one of those guys with a what do you call it? He's like a real job. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so that's what you got to keep in mind when you hear some of this crazy stuff. And that's what you're honestly, mm-hmm. that's what you're paying for because you didn't have that amount of crazy going on, especially in a comedy. Yeah. All right, well, it's a nice indie flick you got at Sundance that, <laughs> yeah. you know, nobody's going to watch. All right, now, uh, going back real quick to the Richard Dreyfuss thing. Now, Richard Dreyfuss said in 2009, again, about this whole thing, uh, talking about the whole experience of What About Bob. What about it? Funny movie. Terribly unpleasant experience. <laughs> um, we didn't get along, me and Bill Murray, but I've got to give it to him. I don't like him, but he makes me laugh even now. I'm also jealous that he's a better golfer than I am. It's a funny movie. Uh, no one has ever come up to you and say, I identify with the patient. They always say, I have patients like that. Mm-hmm. I identify with your character. No one ever no, no one ever says that they're willing to identify with the other character. Well, the other thing, too, though, because, again, I'm talking about comedy and, and mm-hmm. standard formulas of work. Mm-hmm. You can't pick. I, I've thought and thought and thought. I don't think you can pick a better straight man than Richard Dreyfuss for oh, this uh, role. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's got, again... We can go down his film biography at some time. Matt Hooper, baby. Oh, guy's got chops like you wouldn't believe from a dramatic standpoint. Yeah. 
but in that film, that's who you should be identifying with. You should be like, I mean, you should either get to a point where it's like, man, that guy just, he broke him, or you're gonna be in a position like, I feel mm-hmm. free so bad, I've almost been broken. You get that needle in that shark skin? No, I can't do that. <laughs> but maybe if I get close, I'm gonna jab in the mouth. That shark will rip the chip. You got any better suggestions? <laughs> <laughs> I love Jaws. No, I love that. Yeah, that second half of Jaws is my, like, like I said, yeah. I tell people all the time, the second half of Jaws and Raiders of the Lost Ark are my two favorite Spielberg movies. You know the sad thing too is they've tried so many times essentially to remake Jaws yeah. and it's never come close. Hell no. Not even close. And look, I love Deep Blue Sea. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of things where they do like the first half was just like a this giant animal attacking people. They've done a lot of that. But the second half was just three dudes pretty much doing a Moby Dick with this giant whale. Nobody's been able to recreate that. No. And, 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 and even, the, yeah. even with as bad as the, the animatronics were and everything, it's still... But how brilliant they covered it yeah. up with the fucking barrels. Yeah. The goddamn barrels and the ropes. You see you see it, but you don't see it. I mean, honestly, it's, one of, it's the most frustrating thing, having gone through film school recently, is that you, you get a sense of film history but you very seldom unless you're you're really lucky with a really great section and a great professor mm-hmm. to get into anything where you really do deep dive on film craft and yeah. film history everybody's yeah. always talking about fixing and post the this the that the you know the mm-hmm. being able to screw around with render man and create yes. a whole bunch of shit to cover it up yeah those practical in camera solves which mm-hmm. especially if you're talking about as an independent broke ass mm-hmm. filmmaker yeah. that's what you need to know I'm gonna learn the Indianapolis speech just for just for fun, <laughs> just for shits and You should, man. That's a great. I know one. most of it, but I, I I need to get it verbatim. But I like I I was able to do it with fucking Ezekiel twenty five seventeen for Pulp Fiction. I can do it with this. I can do it with the oh, Indianapolis. Yeah. All right. Now uh, going back to that, uh, Bill Murray himself, like basically him and Richard Dreyfuss have have not crossed paths since they made that movie. But Dreyfuss is gonna record said he's forgiven Bill Murray. Bill himself said when they were actually making the movie, uh, it's entertaining. Everybody knows somebody like the Bob guy. Uh, Richard Jarvis and I did not get along uh, during this movie particularly, but it worked for the movie. I mean, I drove him nuts, and he encouraged me to drive him nuts. So, uh, Now, in 2000, the director, Frank, the great Frank Oz, we mm-hmm. talked about ad nauseum doing the John Landis one. And we need to keep talking about because he's got a hell of a filmography. Yes, he does. He basically said about the movie, it was a very tense time shooting uh, What About Bob because Bill Murray... And the director and the producer and Richard Dreyfuss and me and Disney, uh, basically saying that we all had our own view of what to, to make the script better. Uh, it wasn't like out of mean spiritedness. It's just that everybody felt they had a certain way that the movie should be done. Yeah, especially to make the movie better, it caused friction and a lot of tension, and that's what I remember. But it caused to make the movie better, and it turned out okay, I think. Now, going to some of Bill's awards, uh, Bill uh, has a few awards, but he, like I said, it's not a really an award guy. No. Uh, but just going through some of the things he has been nominated for, he was nominated for the Oscar for Best Actor for Lost in Translation in 2004. He lost. Uh, he did win, however, the BAFTA and the uh, Golden Globe for that same role. Yeah. Uh, he also won two Emmys, one for writing on a variety series for SNL in 1977. And most recently, he won for a... Uh, uh, best Supporting Actor in a Limited Series or Movie on an HBO movie called uh, Olive Kitterich. And uh, that was in 2015. Would have been nice if he'd have gotten a like, guest appearance Emmy for uh, his role on Parks and Rec. That would have been nice. As a corpse. <laughs> As a corpse. That would have been funny. <laughs> Thank you. And goodbye forever. <laughs> and also, this is what he thinks about the whole uh, awards thing. He said, I'm over the Oscar thing. I feel that if you really want an Oscar, you're in trouble. It's like wanting to be married. 
I'll, you'll take anybody. Like, uh, if you want an Oscar really badly, it becomes a naked desire and ambition. It becomes very unattractive. I've seen it. The nice thing is that I'm over it over here in Europe uh, making a movie, so I really don't need to worry about it. Yeah. So there's, there's the same but that goes time. back to what we, we've talked about a hundred times. Mm-hmm. I mean, your, your goal as a filmmaker, as an entertainer, mm-hmm. should be the audience. That's right. Are they entertained? Are they buying it? Are they, are they engaged? And if you get the others, mm-hmm. that's nice. It's great. It's mm-hmm. always good to have a, an attaboy, a, a, a nod from the rest of you know our, our, our peers and stuff like that. But yeah. you, you want to make more. That's yeah. what it is. I mean, how many yeah. Oscar winners, they haven't made anything or they've only made one thing or a little thing because... I mean, I've often heard, what was it, uh, Superbad, right? They make that whole joke about Orson Welles. He peaked uh, too early. Yeah, yeah. So, so, That's why, so, so, yeah. why he ate himself to death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can see that, yeah. Like, say, uh, actually, John Landis said the same thing, too. Imagine, imagine making Citizen Kane, like, what is it, 24 or whatever yeah. it was at the time? And then what, what do you do after that? Exactly. TV shows? Exactly. <laughs> uh, now, uh, going to some more of Bill's awards, he's, like you mentioned this a little bit earlier, he's actually in four films that have been selected by the National Film Registry yep. by the Library of Congress for their cultural, historical, and aesthetic significance to pop culture. Tootsie, Ghostbusters, Groundhog Day, and Rushmore. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was actually came in sixth on Rolling Stone's list of the uh, greatest SNL performers of all time. He came in number six. Um... Came in number one, Eddie. I think I think I think it's somebody like Will Ferrell or somebody like that. Yeah, I know. I, I know. Look, I love Will. I know Eddie was up in the top five, but, but like, for I, God's sakes, man! I mean, yeah, I think it's Will. We're we're carving the Mount Rushmore of comedic actors, and again, I love Will, but he's not gonna come before Bill. He's not gonna come before John Belushi. True. Not gonna come before Eddie. Hell, no, I ain't coming before Eddie. I love you, I love you, Will, but goddamn no, you ain't coming before Eddie, bro. I'm sorry. Okay, I mostly ahead. think he would agree with us. Yeah, I think he would too. Uh, he was ranked uh, 82 in Empire Magazine's 100 Greatest uh, Movie Stars of All Time. Mm-hmm. He ranked number one on Comedy Central's show Mouthing Off 100, uh, fi- uh, 51 Greatest Smart Asses of All Time. For Bill, sure. Bill Murray ranked number one. And again, I think he could go tit for tat with Eddie Murphy. Yes, he can. Eddie's oh, got yeah. great smart assery. Yeah. So Bill's like sly smart assery, like this, yeah. That, 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 his will get missed sometimes. Yeah, and his, it's like, wait, wait what? Eddie's is more direct, whereas like his is more undercurrent. Like, like you, yeah, he'll he'll say it, and then you're like, what the fuck you just say? <laughs> well, and uh, and again, because I want to make sure we give everyone credit. Yeah, Chappelle's got to be in the top three too. Oh, he's a smart ass. Oh, God, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, as of 2015, he has appeared in three films that have been nominated for best uh, best picture Oscar, Tootsie. Awesome Translation and the Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, he's appeared in four movies that were in AFI's 100 Years, 100 Great Laughs, Caddyshack, uh, Ghostbusters, uh, Groundhog Day, and Tootsie. Now, I'm still surprised Stripes didn't make that list with AFI. Me too. I am, actually am too. Now let's get into the more interesting, more recent aspect of Bill Murray's life. His, uh, the Bill Murray stories. <laughs> now, These are fantastic. Yeah, like now, as you know now, Bill there's actually a book about it, The Tower of Bill Murray, where he kinda like developed I forgot the exact name of the it's some sort of like religion or almost like life movement where he, you know what I'm saying, like uh 
it, the whole thing about it is making spontaneous moments in life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And of course he's a improv legend as it is, but like he, that's his whole get down. It's just basically he doesn't he doesn't do what he does, like wandering around the country just fucking with people just to do it. He does it because the fact he wants to give you he doesn't want to give you like uh, some shit because I'm Bill Murray. He wants to give you an experience. Something fun that you can talk about forever. He gives you a memory. Yeah. He gives you a memory and it really indelible memory because it affects so many people. Sometimes it gives you a memory that you didn't even know you were given. Exactly. <laughs> now, um, you find out later. So right now, I actually have a list of a couple Bill Murray stories and that's probably like the last thing I have unless you have anything more. Nah, we're, we're getting close to it here too. Alright, cool. So uh, some Bill Murray stories here. First one, uh, in 2016 he actually uh, <laughs> threw two, three uh, cell phones uh, from a restaurant roof onto the ground because of the fact that some fans that were a little too eager Trying to get a picture with him, he actually was a gent and actually offered to pay uh, for the phones. Yeah, but he's like, just don't do that again. (laughs) (laughs) And also in 2014, how'd you get that iPhone 11? Exactly, Bill Murray. Bill Murray, (laughs) exactly, Bill Murray. (laughs) What happened? Threw my phone, but he bought me one, so yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it works out. Yeah, Uh, in 2014, he was actually spotted in the crowd of a Kings of Leon concert, dancing his ass off, (laughs) and to which uh, member Nathan uh, Followell said it's one of the greatest highlights of his career. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And also, they said the same thing. for He actually was uh, seen enjoying a uh, girl pool set at uh, South by Southwest. Uh, he actually was spotted uh, riding a kid's bike during, during several branches of <laughs> several branches of Walmart. <laughs> Most notably in Southfield, Michigan in 2006, uh, some dude named Jake said he was uh, wearing a heavily used um, firefighter's uniform complete with oxygen tank. Which made the more, uh, which made the moment a little more surreal for my taste. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2014, he actually crashed a random bachelor party, and they actually have this on on YouTube where he gave a lot of the groom, the uh, prospective groom there, and a lot of other guys there some very good advice. He said basically, uh, if you're trying to get married, go on a trip with your intended lover on a trip around the world. If you can, you can afford it, go to a place around the world. Go to places that are hard to get into and hard to get out of. If you still love that person after that trip, marry them immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's really good advice. I like it. It's good. Yeah. I, I traveled with, uh, with my wife before we got married. It, it's, I, 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 you'll, I, you'll see it. Same, same thing, the people I live with now, they just got engaged. I said the first thing I did, go on a trip together. Yeah, you got to travel. I mean, you have to have some stuff go wrong, see how you handle it. Exactly. That's exactly why I asked him to do it. And also, um, uh, yeah, so go, talk to that. Like uh, the more, One of the more famous ones, the one that kind of sparked off the internet about the Bill Murray stories, was he actually photobombed a couple's engagement shoot in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, the photographer was re- getting ready to shoot. He had this couple on his like stairs or whatever doing cute shots. And the husband just kept laughing, looking over him like, what are you looking at? He turned around, ready, like the photographer turned around, ready to give whoever was the ride at. And he sees this Bill Murray with his stomach out, slapping him and shit. Making the guy laugh. And then he realizes Bill Murray. He's like, oh, hey, um, yo, uh, would you like to come in and uh, take a photo with us? Sure. <laughs> so you go on Twitter and you can see this picture of this nice couple and you see Bill Murray just sitting there chilling on the wall. <laughs> like no smile, no expression, just Bill just Murray. And then after that, he disappears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in South by Southwest, he loves hanging out there. South by Southwest in 2010, this is a really famous one. Uh, he was there, uh, he popped into this place called the Shangri-La Bar. He got to chatting with the bartender. Uh, I saw the documentary today, the dude's name was like Trevor. 
And like he was chatting up He liked Trevor He liked Trevor's personality And shit And like uh, He's like Hey man I'm gonna go see the Jizzy You wanna come? Nah man I've been working for a couple hours I gotta go get, uh, take my dogs out And shit like that And he's like Okay cool So uh, Trevor left He came back with the dogs To the place Bill Murray came back Actually he came to The bouncer at the bar Was like I hate you to Trevor Like what you talking about Bill Murray's in there Asking for you <laughs> like, he's like, is Trevor here? Is Trevor here? And, I, and then I saw him. like, hey, Trevor, what's up, man? Like, And then the owner found out about this whole get down. I was like, Bill Murray's. Like, he kept uh, texting the owner the whole time. Like, Bill Murray's actually here? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm right next to him. Yeah. Ask him if he wants to bartend. And Trevor's like, <laughs> and Trevor's like I don't, I look, I don't really want to do this. But the owner's asking me if you want to bartend. He's like, sure. <laughs> so Bill goes behind and then texts back. Bill Murray's bartending now. <laughs> so Bill Murray gets behind the bar. He gets a little bit of a lesson on how to bartend. And people are, like, going crazy. Like, oh, that's Bill Murray, Bill Murray. They're coming up with their money and shit. And, what, and Bill would go to the different people. And uh, they would say, hey, I want this and I want that. And he basically would take whatever the strongest liquor is near him at that time and just give him a shot of that. <laughs> a lot of it was tequila. He's just like, whatever they ask for. Like, can I get a sex on the beach? Shot of tequila. Can I get a, uh, you know, Rob Roy? Shot of tequila. Can I get a Tom Collins? Shot of tequila. <laughs> and people loved it. They didn't give a fuck. Nobody complained. It's like, fuck yeah, shot of tequila. Who's pouring you a drink? Why would you complain? And then right after that, again, disappeared. Uh, but yeah, same thing. They is an indelible moment, and actually, business doubled for the Shangri La Bar after that video was released. Um, in 2006, in Scotland, he actually uh, met a couple of Norwegian women at a bar, and he basically uh, <laughs> accepted an invitation to uh, accompany them to a party. And that's that's in the documentary too. He's sitting there like talking to the chicks or whatever, and he's like, you know what? I'd really hate to say this, but your 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 kitchen is filthy. Like, you know what? You ladies go ahead and enjoy yourselves. I'll clean up in here. So he's basically in the, in the kitchen doing these dishes at this house party and shit. And they're like, is that fucking Bill Murray doing dishes <laughs> <laughs> in the kitchen? And then right after that, again, disappears. Yep. yep. My, my favorite one, yeah. uh, not to get too far out of sequence here, but you know, since we're winding down, yeah. there was a guy fell asleep, passed out mm-hmm. at the bar. Mm-hmm. His buddies were there, opened his phone, mm-hmm. Took pictures with Bill Murray and him passed out on the bar. Yeah. Disappeared. Mm-hmm. It was like a day, two days later, the guy's going through his phone. He finds pictures of him with Bill Murray mugging with him while he's passed out. <laughs> so, yeah, another great story. Uh, there was actually an impromptu kickball game in New York. And uh, these, it was these girls playing uh, sock kickball or whatever. One of the girls was like, oh, I'm about to kick. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to kick or whatever. And like, hey, this is one guy over here that wants to uh, get a kick in. I don't care. I want to kick in. And then she finds out it's Bill Murray. Like, oh, shit, let him kick. Yeah, let him kick. <laughs> and then they go in there. They play the softball. They play the kickball game with Bill Murray. And then the girl's mom's going nuts. She's like, uh, sorry, could you get a picture with me? And then Bill Murray scoops the lady up and says, like, there's a picture with her like that. <laughs> and then same thing. The picture goes viral. Just like that, and then again, Bill Murray just disappears. That's, that's, they all end with Bill Murray just disappears. <laughs> and uh, also, while Christian shopping, uh, Bill Murray held up uh, busy uh, Starbucks, uh, trying to persuade uh, basically a, a barista to slip some whiskey into his eggnog latte. <laughs> and eventually, the barista, the barista gave in. So there's that. And then Bill Starbucks gave, believes in service. And Bill Murray gave him this crazy tip. <laughs> and then the last one I have here is a. Uh, while he was actually causing mischief, uh, stealing chips and crashing parties and shit, he actually offered um, a parting shot. One thing he always tells people, whatever he's doing, some crazy shit, he'll tell them, nobody would ever believe you. And leaves. 
So that's my last Bill Murray the, story. The Tower of Bill Murray. The Tower of Bill Murray, man. Dude, but, this has been a great episode. I really love Bill Murray, and I love the fact that we did all this research. And this was fun. This is a blast. This was fun. We got to do more of these, man. For I sure. really do. I, I love this shit. I love this shit, man. Well, the, uh, the little red bar is getting smaller, so that means we're getting close to the end. All right, man. So uh, this has been Dropping That Culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD. And I'm AJ. And we'll catch you guys next time. Later. Dropping That Culture. 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 Dropping that culture.